This episode of Excuse the Intermission is presented in partnership with the Grand Cinema. The Grand Cinema is the South Sound's nonprofit home for independent, international, and local film. The theater strives to enrich the lives and enhance the cultural vitality of the greater Tacoma community through the art of film. The Grand Cinema is dedicated to providing their signature art house movie going experience in a safe and healthy fashion. There is something for everyone at the Grand Cinema. Along with their wonderful weekly programming, they are also home to the Weird Elephant Late Night Film Series, the Silver Screen Society, Free Family Flicks, and Tacoma's Outdoor Movie Series. You can also inquire about theater rentals at the Grand Cinema by contacting their box office or website. The staff and volunteers cannot wait to make your experience at the movies a memorable one, so grab your friends, grab your tickets, and don't forget to stop at the concession stand for the Grand Signature Popcorn. The Grand Cinema is located at 606 Fawcett Avenue in Tacoma, Washington, and open seven days a week. You can find them online at www.grandcinema.com and on Instagram and Facebook at The Grand Cinema. How's it? I'm Alex McCauley. I'm Max Vosberg. And I am Grant Colabini. And this is Excuse the Intermission, a discussion show surrounding swamps, bayous, and all things Cajun. The second stop on our cinematic road trip brings us to the great state of Louisiana. We've picked up another hitchhiker since leaving Texas, and he's asked us to bring him all the way down to Bourbon Street, so let's not waste any more time. This episode of ETI begins next after a quick break. Have you ever experienced anything difficult and not felt like you had an outlet? I'm Haley Crow, the host of Facilitating Voices, an outlet podcast, where we discuss complex topics surrounding mental health, social justice issues, and interview people with real and raw experiences and exposures to trauma. Tune in to learn, grow, and realize you're not alone. New episodes released weekly on the Chatter Network. All right, so let's introduce our fourth crew member for this week. He was one of our first guest hosts back in October of 2020 when we were just getting our sea legs under us as podcasters, a filmmaker himself, and student of the craft, Drew Burkhart. Welcome back to the show. You're in the Big Kid studio now. I know. I like it. It looks awesome. That's great. Yeah. Um, Who's this guy? <laughs> wait, wait, you said he's been on here before? I don't know. I've never seen this guy before in my life. Drew was part of one of the... <laughs> Four or five longest episodes of Excuse the Intermission. Yeah. That was a marathon when oh, you were yeah. on last. Uh, that was a lot was of fun, the though. 2010s? It was 2010. Yeah. Four, Four movies. We had his yeah. lovely wife, Stephanie, on with us as well, which I think obviously added to some of the discourse of uh, why some conversations went on a little bit long. But that was a great, great, great time with you guys. It was a lot of fun, yeah. Well, yeah, and since we last spoke to you, a lot has happened. Uh, you know, this movie called The Snyder Cut was finally released. That's right. We said our farewell to Daniel Craig as James Bond. A Spider-Man movie made a gajillion dollars. The last two years, Chloe Zhao and Jane Campion have won Best Director two years in a row. That's historic. And then, of course, Coda won Best Picture. So out of those things, maybe anything else that kind of stands out to you, what what is the last year and a half, year and change since we've since we've last spoke meant to you as far as film? So we had the best superhero movie ever come out with the Snyder Cut. Damn straight. That's right. Um, I will defend that movie till the day I die. A lot of you don't know, like as as much as I am obsessed with, like as Drew is one of my best friends, and it like is my DC bud, and was with me every step of the goddamn way of like, hoping and fighting and just pushing for the Snyder Cut to be released. So this this guy is 
is as hyped about it as I am, just to give you a little little uh, context. You were there. just more vocal about I it. I was, yes. And then I, I, I lived vicariously through you yeah. as as you went through your fight to get that released. I, yeah. so. Any information I got, just directly funneled to you. And I was like, yeah. And then I told Stephanie, she was like, I don't care. <laughs> and then she was like, cool, good for you. I'm like, thank you. I appreciate it. Bond... I mean, it ended on a pretty good note. I still will take Skyfall any day as my favorite Daniel Craig one, but it still ended on a pretty good note. Last year's Oscars, not the 2021, but 2020, I think. The year the Nomadland won. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that I would, the only person I would have had Chloe, like, take best director outside of Chloe Zhao would have been Emerald uh, Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. Huge stand in that film. Oh my! I, I the first time Stephanie and I watched that film, we both were just like, "This is an amazing!" Like we waited correctly for this movie because this that was that blew us away. And then she won. What, what was her first film? She filmed it pregnant. She wrote. She wrote it. Directed. Had everything. the small acting piece as the makeup tutorial. Exactly girl yeah. on YouTube. Yeah, a hilarious I didn't know scene. That. That's great. Uh huh. And and walked away with you know the Cool Kids Award, best original screenplay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and like also like the perfect time for that movie to come out like it was uh, honestly that could have come out anytime sooner like the world probably needed it but like just an appropriate time had such a huge impact on so many people yeah um let's see what else um did you have a favorite from last year I'm trying to think I I saw Coda right before the Academy Awards and I cried. And I watched it with you Steph- have you have a pulse. Congratulations! Yes. Yeah. No, you are I, a human being. I he watched it with the Turing test. I watched it with uh, Stephanie's family and her dad and my dad after the or not her dad. Yes. Okay. Wow. Her dad and myself were both on the floor, just like yeah, you know, we don't talk to us yet because we're both trying to recover from what we just watched. It was the scene where. He puts her his hand on her throat oh, and yeah. chest to yep. hear her sing, and then I was like, "This is this is too much for me. I don't nobody look at me. I'm not crying. You're crying." Um, I'm trying to think, what else? Do you have anything from the last year or two that you just did not like? Probably. This is the thing where it's <laughs> like, oh wait, whatever. What's happened in the last year? What's a movie? Yeah, what, what is time? What is time anymore? Um. Yeah, no. I all the only thing that can come to my head right now, the thing that has been dominating my mind for the last like month and a half, has been uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. It's honestly, it's it sucks because the best movie of the year already came out, yeah. and yeah. so I'm like, well, this is great. So, whoops. What do I have to look forward to now? Yeah, I mean, like, because it's like I just saw Multiverse of Madness, and in my mind. Um, everything everywhere all at once did multiversal travel better than a Marvel movie with an insane budget. So. And, and even in the Doctor Strange movie, they kind of even hint that someone has the power to do the same thing that is the multiversal travel and everything everywhere all at once. And they still don't even manage to execute it as well as Daniels did in, in, yeah. in everything. As our as our v, our listeners at last time. Alex, you have yet to see it. Have, did you, have you seen it since? Still have not seen it. Okay. No. I've got to get on that. I think I will venture. I'll, I'll do a solo trip out to the Grand, and I think, and see it one night this still, week. So still, so perhaps by the time this episode drops, I will have already seen it. Yeah. But, yeah, follow me on Letterboxd. You already know where it's at. <laughs> still playing at the Art House Theaters, still playing in the in the big chain theaters, and then now getting a release in IMAX because of the hype Ooh. behind it. So 
Um, As it should. The, yeah, there's places in here in in Washington. It's in Kent and a few other like distant places from us here in Tacoma. But if you have a bigger IMAX screen around you, check to see if those those that movie's showing because it is worth seeing on the biggest screen possible. I saw that it's at the Rodeo Drive-In out in Belfair. Oh, man, I'm taking a road trip this week. Oh, I don't have a car. We'll figure it out. That's what I can do. I can check my letterbox. And I know there is some movies that I rated higher, especially than the guy to my left. Well, as as you're looking that up, I think that's a good segue as you take a little jab at Grant. This, this <laughs> I think, is now the most important part um, of having you on. You're a dedicated listener, a friend of all of ours, and so I think that now is a good time for you to stand in for every ETI listener out there um, and, and <laughs> just give it to us raw. Um, get, take Purge for a minute and, and tell us maybe a time or two over the last year and a half that you've just screamed back at your podcast player and and you thought well, why did these who gave these guys microphones something we've gotten wrong just bad takes what bad, bad takes? takes we'll Be start with honest. grant <laughs> <laughs> well god knows i have a lot of them <laughs> well uh, it's, i'm just gonna say for the mailbag episode i think the morning of the recording i i was a little late and i was just like oh yeah i needed to i was gonna write this in and my question was gonna be why does grant think he knows what he's talking about when he doesn't and he just has a dumb look on his face all the time and you can feel the look yeah. through the phone um no i think one of the worst takes you had was saying equilibrium was better than the matrix uh, no that's a great take because it's terrible true terrible take okay who's a better actor right now gut feeling christian bale or keanu reeves yeah christian bale it okay okay no great is sean bean in the matrix does no, he's not. He, um, he would have died within use the first katana five scenes. in the Matrix. No. They do in the Matrix Reloaded. Well, nah, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the Matrix. Uh, do they... We're flipping Escalades with, with swords in the Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> exactly. Um, is there weighted um, gun... Uh, weighted gun magazines for them to do backflips and then land perfectly on them to reload their guns as they do that? No. Uh, do they know Kung Fu? Yeah. Do they have guns? They Lots of guns? Equilibrium takes kung fu and guns. Do they and have combines a helicopter that crashes into martial a art building? The Grand Clerics. Morpheus? No, they don't. Do you have Christian have... Bale just falling to his knees, crying emotionally? No, the Equilibrium is just a better movie than the Matrix. I'm not saying the Matrix is bad. Equilibrium is just better. We will just let me just say that, that this take does not represent all of those. No, on excuse no, the intermission. This is Grant's Hill. He's willing to die on it, and go that's why we love him. <laughs> go rewatch Equilibrium and tell me I'm wrong. All right, what else do you got for us, Drew? Uh, well, you know, just I think it was that same episode. Um, this would be the 2002 movie draft that yeah. you're referring to. Okay. The, the Sweet Home Alabama taken that one. That yeah. One. yeah. Yeah. That was one of the worst Oof. picks in the history of drafts. I think that one, I think and I gave somehow, you, like, I was, I had my scorecard while I was listening to it and I was some like, well, way minus 20 right there. <laughs> and it was, Oh, Hey, for a few <laughs> beautiful people out there, it earned me some votes. That's right. And I think it was because of that Sweet Home Alabama take. The that, that won him that draft. I will say there are much better comedies from that year. Um, I do not stand by that <laughs> film as being the best funny movie. But hey, the the draft is not playing, about taking what you think is he's the best movie. The game. He's playing the game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. I am. And then Max, I hated licorice pizza. Yeah, uh, a lot of people did. Can you scoot yeah. up a little closer to the mic and say that for uh, all the people to hear? I did not. 
enjoy licorice pizza. Yeah, you know, uh, get in line. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, there's tons of people out there who didn't like that movie, uh, and you know that's okay. That's all right. Uh, I still think it's a you know it's a dreamy fun time to hang out and uh, dreamy. You want uh, to stick with that? <clears throat> yeah, I, th- I think it's a uh, you know the vignettes are much very dreamy, hazy. Uh, good time in in the Southern California in the in the seventies. I'll I'll take it. No, it's I think because a lot of people, including myself, had a problem with the age difference, which is a weird thing. Um, I think for me, like yeah, you have all the vignettes. I just think that the the marketing threw me off when I because when I went to go see it. I was just like, oh, okay. And then they were like, here's this plot line. And just kidding. We're moving on to this now. And then, I, I, I will yeah. agree with that on, on rewatches, uh, you know, and reading things and thinking about it. Uh, it, it was definitely marketed a different movie, yeah. I would say. Uh, yeah. And then I, the only positive thing that I probably have for it is it's one of Bradley Cooper's best performances. Yeah, I know. He checked. Years. Oh, that was, that was great. Yeah. Uh, wonderful 10 minutes. Just, just let the throw, tiger out of the cage. I was just throwing 100. <laughs> yeah. Should have been nominated. All right. Well, thank you for that. We will we'll go back to the drawing board with a few of our with a few of our takes and ideas and come back better podcasters from it. Maybe not Grant. Uh, yeah, but, no, I'm definitely going to stick with mine. But. <laughs> um, okay. So, Drew, you are here today joining us to discuss film set in Louisiana. This is a huge favor to us as we filled this spot with you just last week. So we appreciate you stepping in on the short notice. Now, when it comes to movies set in Louisiana, I'm curious what themes that you have picked up on. I, I feel silly saying Louisiana over and over and over again because I think in reality, most people actually consider it like the greater state of New Orleans. <laughs> uh, maybe Grant himself has uh, yeah, <laughs> been saying we're doing the New Orleans episode. It's just doing New Orleans. Uh, <laughs> that's what I was told was the New Orleans episode. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, Nola, Nola is – so charismatic um, and, and oh, it's yeah. a wondrous place. Absolutely. Um, when you think of New Louisiana, you think of New Orleans. It's you know, it's a small state. So, so I am curious if you feel like in these movies, does the city of New Orleans overshadow the state itself, or were you able to find you know, and like I said, you only had a week, but were you able to find kind of a good balance between your films? Uh, pretty much. It was a lot of them just kind of use the backdrop of New Orleans. It's not so much like, hey, we're in New Orleans. It's like if you have a movie that's in New York, it's pretty much like, ah, we're in Brooklyn and this is our movie and we are from New York and that's fine. The setting's like a character. Exactly. Yeah. As as quoted from, uh, what is it? Um, they came together. They came together. So you're telling me New York is a city <laughs> and a character in the movie? <laughs> It's it's I feel like it's a good like if you it's pretty much if you're going to have a swamp movie, it's going to be located in Louisiana or like New Orleans. Um, I, a lot of there were a few movies that had uh, Mardi Gras, of course, as just kind of just there just to show like, also, hey, this I, is New Orleans. We have we do things and a time placement. I feel like if yeah. Mardi Gras is happening, you, you know what time of year yeah. or what the setting is a little bit. And uh, and then some of them that I watched, pretty much you. The only reason you know they're in New Orleans is because they say we're in New Orleans, and 
And so it's it's gonna it's it was a good balance between. I feel like that's a southern thing because I brought that up last week on the Texas episode where everyone's very self referential in the South where it's just like well in Texas we do things a little bit differently. Right. I think you know something I have on my list here is that whether or not the budget allowed for there to be like real alligators in some of these movies, there's always a reference to like this area is crawling with gators <laughs> and, and you know that really grounds it. You know exactly where you are when something like that happens. Right. So I think that's pretty spot on. Grant, Grant, what did you have? Uh, definitely that kind of same thing. Like it's the the setting and backdrop of it all. It's not really kind of focused or accentuated that much in mind. I mean, it, like Drew said, the swamps. I mean, you're getting your gators, you're getting your snakes, you're getting your you know your your sneaky little little pesky guys down there. Food is a huge thing. I think this whole road trip, as I'm looking ahead and looking behind us in Texas, food is a huge huge thing. Uh, and the, the community aspect of that, like the neighborhood shows up a lot, sharing food, using that as a, uh, an endearing thing happens a lot, especially in this community, which leads me to the next one of, it is a melting pot within a melting pot within a melting pot. There are so many different, uh, ethnicities and minorities and cultures just thrown into Louisiana, which creates the Louisiana, New Orleans culture that is of its own thing. That whole vibe, the Houdat, the Bourbon Street, the Mardi Gras, like it is like its own world in a lot of ways, which then also creates the obvious outsiders, the lawmen coming in. You know, some people are going to be really warm to outsiders and some people are going to be real cold to outsiders. So there's a lot of that give and take. And then just jazz, jazz, music, 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 music. Partying, food, good times. It's just parades. Yeah, parades. <laughs> yeah, at a moment's notice. There's just it's just any time. There's just um, that that feel in in the in the classic aspect. And then I feel like in the newer films, in the new ages, which are obviously post Katrina, we see the uh, the strife and the desperation and kind of the new world that has kind of been created in that, which isn't the glamorous thing we have seen and like kind of known growing up. It, it, it can, and is, is a different world now down there. So it is kind of a, a weird thing to look at film where it's like literally in the middle of a decade, it just kind of changes and splits. I think that that might be the number one, most important factor when looking at these movies. It's almost like when we went back and did New York where we were like, there are two kinds of movies. There's a pre nine 11 movie and there's a post nine 11 movie. It's the same feeling with these films where there's pre Katrina and post Katrina. So I, I picked up on that as well. That's good. Max. Yeah, you know, uh, jazz. What's the big easy mean to you? The big easy. Uh, it's a really hard accent. Uh, not a lot of people can do it. Not uh, and a lot Please of Kyoto. I'm, I'm just kidding. A lot of these actors uh, just kind of decide uh, not to do it. <laughs> um, and some of them should continue to not do it, even though they try really hard. Um, but yeah. I, I, you know, I found a lot of, you know, walking around uh, downtown in New Orleans, you know, whether you're in the quarter or Bourbon Street or wherever. So you're seeing a lot of buildings and architecture. Uh, Louisiana has a very, what, French feel to it. Um, so there, you, you notice, you pick up on that. Um, gators, jazz music. I mean, beignets. Yeah. You know, kind of everything we've all we've all touched on the architecture for sure. Balconies, mm. a, a lot mm-hmm. of balconies, cafes, people sitting outside eating, drinking. The like the buildings with like the they have like little 
uh, ceilings over the like overhangs. over overhangs yeah. over the uh, sidewalk. Big wraparound porches. Mm. Uh, gambling is something I don't think we've really touched on in a lot of yeah. my films. Uh, not necessarily casinos. You know, there are some films that touch on the casino aspect, but uh, you know, a lot of backroom cards being mm. played, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Bookie bets, yeah, bookies, riverboat gambling trips, uh, uh-huh, yeah. for sure. A lot of suits. Yeah, people yeah. dress. I have that. I have costumes and clothing written down in mind too. I think that there's a very distinct. Obviously, you know, you guys already touched on Mardi Gras. You know, masquerades, be masquerade masks, beads, things of that nature. But yeah, a lot of people wearing suits, pinstripe suits, hats. Hats are big. Fedoras. Uh, there, there's a certain level of class. I feel like when when you're trying to be a high roller in in the Big Easy, that that your suit has to permeate, um, or or your dress. You know, also too, I think that the way that Day is shot in New Orleans. A lot of these films that are shot on location, the way that you shoot in the daylight, it feels real fiery. Whereas I think in mm-hmm. Texas and in, 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 then with our next stop that we're going to make in Florida, I think that the humidity and the heat, those really permeate through the through the camera. Whereas in New Orleans, things just feel real fiery. They They feel hot. And then at night, there's like an electricity in a lot of the movies that I was watching where I was like, even though I know we're shooting at night – Different from Florida where you would say like, you know, and we probably will say next week that, oh, it feels so balmy. It feels real humid at night. Night in New Orleans and in Louisiana just feels electric. can feel dangerous too at times. But I I really picked up on that distinction of, you know, the way that these different filmmakers shoot during night and day um, down there, down south. So a lot of fun stuff. Um, I'm I'm excited to see what, what our top fives hold because, you know, Max and I were kind of talking about this off air before we started. Whereas, you know, last week, once we got to our top ones and twos, we were like, all right, well, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is going to be, you know, it's going to have its place on here somewhere. Where When we were in New York, it was kind of like, how much can you really avoid something like Taxi Driver, uh, you know, some of yeah. these other movies? New Orleans, I don't think really has that, like, that claim, one movie. There's not, there's not a definitive Louisiana, uh, New Orleans film. No, so all of our lists will be uh, pretty diverse here. I think. Oh, one other thing too, I wanted to mention the use of streetcars. Uh, I really, yeah. I really like the way that you know the different areas of streetcars, as in like trolleys and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. The different areas of New Orleans are represented, where you can tell when a film's shot, like in the Garden District, um, and things become much more wide open. They don't feel as condensed as they do if you're filming down um, on Bourbon Street in the French Quarter. Things like that. So, so okay, let's let's get this started. Drew, you'll go first as our guest. Nice. So, so what is your number five film? We'll be back after a quick break. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. You know, I'm just going to start off with, you know, a classic right here. Um, I love this movie as a kid. Um, it's an animated film. Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Well. Bam. Never, never seen it. This time, 
the monsters are real. The Uh-oh. monsters are real. Uh-oh. It was like the first like Scooby-Doo film mm, okay. that came out late 90s. Oh, let me this, just... I remember when this came, I remember the hype around this. This was one of those, if you guys remember, when like Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network were doing like the like, huge promo lead up to things to where like if you went to Hollywood Video, you would get the 3D glasses. Or if you got the Kraft Mac and Cheese, then you can get the code to do the thing or whatever. This was, this was beyond that. Log on to AOL and get this bonus <laughs> clip. This was beyond that because it was a Scooby-Doo movie that was like Batman Mask of the Phantasm. This oh, yeah. went to movie. This was in theaters. It was an animated movie in theaters. And it was, that was the big thing was, you know, all the monsters that Scooby-Doo have seen forever were just guys behind masks. But not this time. Not this time. No, it was... It was, it, I remember still, I think I was in like first or second grade and I was going over to a friend's house for the weekend and we were going to go rent Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. And I remember coming home from school, throwing my backpack down and be like, mom, you don't get it. The monsters are real this time. You don't understand. <laughs> They're going to get away with it yeah. this time. Scooby's in real peril. <laughs> but I mean, rewatch it. I rewatched it just because I was like, huh, okay, let's just see how this movie aged. From 98, and it's a tight hour 18. I was going to say, there's no way this is like a two-hour film. Oh, no, it's hour 18. And, I mean, still, I mean, in my mind, still holds up to the the same excitement I had as a kid. Um, Because I grew up, like, every Saturday on, um, they had four hours of Scooby-Doo. So I watched Scooby-Doo so much as a kid. And with this, it's... You get the you get the whole range of the accents, which is great. You have the hmm. the guy who runs the ferry, and he has the thickest Cajun accent I've ever heard in my life. And he's because there's a part where you have the fish, the guy, the the hunter who or the fisherman who's trying to catch the big catfish named Big Mona, and Big Mona. And then Mona. finally he's about to do it, and then he's like, "Oh, you city folk, done ruined my." <laughs> Done ruin my fishing, and then you got the fairy guy just going. You are never gonna catch a big mona, and you're never gonna is. And it was just, I was just like, this. What a, what a time to be alive in '98. <laughs> and then ever, and then all the, uh, and then you have more of the French like proper accent in uh, when you get to the plantation. It's a pepper plantation, and then you find out that yeah, there's zombies everywhere, but they're trying to kill the people who killed them, who are. The people who own the plantation, they turn into giant cat things. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of a sad, it's a sad story where it's, you know, you have Captain Morgan Moonscar who comes and kind of just pillages the island when they were first there in like the 1700s. And then they prayed to their cat god and became giant cat monsters and killed all the pirates. And so it's as they, one does. They were trying to like, you know, save their community, but then you know they got carried away with it. So it's they became the villains of their own story. So Man, the the folks in the mystery machine always trying to teach an allegorical <laughs> I mean, right lesson, there, right? This is some deep Scooby. Uh, it's, <laughs> hey, it's apt- Zoinks, Max. It's some yeah. deep new. It's aptly placed big number zoinks. five. We always like that's to have number five. Yeah. We always like to have a little fun with our number five, so that's a good good yeah. spot for it. Yeah. All right, Grant, what do you got? All right, well, this is a movie that we have talked about on the pod, so we're not going to dive too far into this one. I just wanted to bring it up again because it, it, it's very fitting. It's one that this specific film, does it never 
specifically says it's in Louisiana, but all of the surrounding material, including the spinoff shows and the comics before it, have all said this is where it takes place. So naturally, you would assume. But I'm talking about 1982's Wes Craven's Swamp Thing. Mm, we talked yes. about this on the Wes yeah. Craven episode. Ray Wise is Dr. Alec Holland, scientist. Big, huge thing goes wrong. He becomes one with the green and the swamp. And, like, I mean, come on. Louisiana movies, you're going to have a swamp, and this is a guy that is the swamp thing, thing come to life. Mm-hmm. He he just controls it all. Uh, there's a lot of Louisiana aspects, like like the basic tropes of of New Orleans or the swamp. I mean, like, you can say it's it could be – Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, North Carolina, what what have you? But like this is like it's 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 Nolens. You know where you are in the, in this film, and like we said before, this is Wes Craven was happy at the end of it. It was not exactly what he wanted to do, but it was under budget on time. He wrote it. Ray Wise has a fun time as Alec Holland. Um, go back and listen to our Wes Craven episode for a little bit more into it. But 1982's Swamp Thing, we, we're we're down in the bogs. We got we got to talk about the thing. I'm 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 jealous. I didn't think of that. You know, I I don't out of all mine, I don't really have a lot of swampy movies, and that definitely is probably the swampiest. It has to be. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what else could be. It could be more than it. Oh, Scooby Doo. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe. <laughs> uh, my number five uh, is probably my favorite movie on my on this list. Uh, it just so happens to be set in New Orleans, but has nothing to do. With New Orleans or Louisiana, uh, and that's Ten Cloverfield Lane. Uh, nice, because they just spend the whole time in a bunker. Uh, it's a great thriller. Uh, John Fucking Goodman is just fantastic in this movie. It's an easy rewatch, but yeah, the, the really the only shot of New Orleans is in the opening uh, credits when you're watching Mary Elizabeth Winstead pack up her her stuff. They show like the the port, uh, and and I think like the same like area where another one of my movies takes place. Um, but yeah, this movie is just a treat to watch. And again, not really has it doesn't really have anything to do with Louisiana or New Orleans because you're stuck in a shelter the whole time. But uh, man, going back and rewatching this technicality it's set in new orleans it's on the list well and i think it uh, yeah it, it fits i saw that you logged this on letterboxd and i was like did max watch this for fun or was this just uh or did this actually qualify and then and then you're right too because at the end you know not to spoil anything but as we're making our escape from from this area that we've been in the whole time i believe we're headed to houston right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so then that makes sense to just right. be traveling west um yeah so so nice pick and, and this is a fantastic movie if, oh my god it's so good so like there is no like in these episodes there is no winner but max just won <laughs> <laughs> I, like this is this is one of the greatest films that i've seen in the last uh, when did this come out 2016 yeah. so yeah last 10 years Dan Trachtenberg, who's now doing stuff like Black Mirror and The Boys and stuff. So I think this is where he started. And this is who pulls out. I mean, Mary Elizabeth once said John Goodman, but John Gallagher Jr. is Emmett. Yeah. He's I, great like too. he the the just three people and you do something like that, that guy, that's a good Well, movie. even you have the one lady who's banging in banging on the glass trying to get in. I mean she, who's uh Lori from Silicon from Valley. Silicon Valley. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she her Ten seconds on screen, it's, it's, just yeah, it adds so the, much yeah. to the 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 quote unquote credibility mm. of the John Goodman character. But it just adds like 
it's it's one of the best just unraveling mysteries because ev- every yeah. 10 minutes you get more information that makes you completely change your theory and your thought of what is going on in this film. Like once you're like, oh, I know what's going on. No, no, you don't. And that's the whole Cloverfield feel in all three of their films, depending on how you you view and rank. Well, them yeah, all. in this movie, I don't know. I might be taking what you're about to Go say, but yeah, we don't really have. We get monsters at the end, but the monster in this movie is is Goodman. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. And this is like the closest thing to like a Hitch Hitchcock movie in in the modern age, right? Yeah, yeah. like even the score really is like very reminiscent of Hitchcock movies. So. Just, just a banger. Go, go. Also, if you've, this if one you've never seen it and you're a person like myself where you like watching at least the teaser trailer, one of the best trailers I've ever seen mm. in my life. Oh yeah, one of the greatest trailers. I still remember coming home right after I watched. It. I went to the theater with my brother and saw it, and then I came home and went on Facebook and was like, "Oh yeah, hey, John Goodman deserves a nomination at least mm. for best supporting actor." Mm-hmm. Didn't get it because the movie came out in February. And or was it? I feel like it, it was, was like, pretty early. It was yeah, early in the year. year. Yeah. It was just like this guy deserves something. Because and it came out of nowhere it. too. Yeah, right? like we, we we talked about it on the Cohen Brothers episode. Like John Goodman is for some reason like he's not underrated, but I, he's I feel like he's underappreciated. John mm. Goodman is like a, a phenomenal, phenomenal actor. Yeah, I don't believe he's ever been nominated in his career. Which yeah, it's just a shame. Uh, maybe fact check me on that, but I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I'll look it up. I'll has. chime in a little later with some facts. All right, so we've kind of been dancing around uh, the horror category, the horror genre, and I'll just dive in here for my number five pick. It is the film The Beyond, uh, directed yeah. by Lucio Fulci. And now this, I've had an interesting relationship with this movie throughout my uh, movie going career, we'll call it. Uh, this is probably my fourth or fifth time watching this movie. It's not one that I return to often, but. You know, it's kind of one of those movies that pops up on on different lists as as you're looking for oh, what's the you know gross out whore or '80s whore. I believe we touched on it a little bit when we were doing our Hall of Fame series way back when. I know the Silver Screams podcast has talked about this movie. Yeah, we did a whole episode on it. This movie's been shown at Friday Night Frights here in Tacoma mm-hmm. at the Blue Mouse mm-hmm. Theater, so it, it pops up in the culture every now and then. This time rewatching it, I felt like I finally air quote got it. Where before I've sat down to watch this movie, and even though I'm a huge fan of Argento and other Italian horror films, the the dubbing and, and different aspects of the film have always just kind of thrown me off. And I've never really understood why it's bothered me with this movie because in uh, all these other films that I'm talking about from, full, from, from um, Argento and other Italian filmmakers, I've always got it. I've found it. Kind of, kind of enduring and kind of exciting, almost to to be, you know, like, hey, this is something new and different that might rub some people the wrong way, but but I'm with it. And this one, it's never really clicked for me. This time it clicked. So we're set in Louisiana. It's a hotel that's built over a doorway to hell. There's crazy gore, mm. eye gouging, all kinds of bizarre stuff going on. It's pretty incoherent, and I think that that's part of what's rubbed me wrong before. Is that I'm just like. This, you know, from scene to scene, we're not really making a whole lot of sense. No. And, and by the time the film ends and we try to crescendo together, it's messy. But it, but this time around, I appreciated that nightmarish messiness and was like, you know what? I, I, I'm going to put it in as my number five pick because it, it kind of could take place anywhere. 
But I do think that it's important that it's in Louisiana because there is there are some scenes that kind of lean into the importance of having like a swamp, especially there at the beginning. And and so, yeah, it's a little bit loose fitting, but I feel like this area of the United States lends itself so well to the horror genre. I kind of dabble with a few of my later picks, but this is a full on horror film that I feel like needs to be on the list. Well, that and it was only made for like, what, 400 Four hundred thousand dollars. You can like tell that. The, you was, can tell the low budget. Yeah, aspect, but it yeah. made a ton of money too, which was nuts at the time too. They spent all the money on that that end creature <laughs> coming out of of the gate of hell. They certainly didn't spend it on the tarantulas. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, you're number four now. Number Drew. four. I'm going to go back to animation. Um, oh. The, surprise, surprise. Yeah. You are Grant's friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was the thing where I was like, okay, uh, New Orleans, what movies take place there? Oh, yeah, this. This does. Um, it's, w- it's funny you say that because I just thought of this, that like we talked about our lists before we, we came here. One, we don't have any crossover, but we both have animation, <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah. Max and I were talking about. We don't expect there to be a lot of crossover. Well, yeah. yeah, like I like like you said at the beginning of this. Like, there we don't have those quintessential. But like I was thinking about. I'm like, no, there's gonna be. And then like if Drew and I don't like, I can't imagine that you the three of us do. So it'll be interesting to see. What, I think what we're I, I, I think as I get up my list, we'll have <laughs> we'll have some crossover. Okay, okay. okay. Um, but no, I have uh, the 1989 classic from Don Bluth. All logs go to heaven. Yep. Yep. I saw this on a lot of lists. Really? I did not see this on any lists. I saw this on a lot of lists. I thought about this a lot too, because this was like a as a kid when when you're watching movies, this was like one of the first like gateways to jazz. Right? That and, and even like Mardi Gras. They yeah. Have, they have a whole Mardi Gras scene in the mm-hmm. beginning when they're trying to kill Charlie. <laughs> It was just. I mean, I, what studio is this? Uh, it's not Disney. It's, it's just Bluth Films. I th- it's okay. it's Don Bluth's. I cannot okay. remember. I think it, I always might just sorry be Bluth yeah. film like Bluth Studios or something. In research for this, Stephanie's I realized gonna kill me. Yeah, <laughs> she's like it's Paramount. <laughs> <laughs> like Max said, like I saw this on a bunch of lists and like research of like okay, New Orleans or Louisiana films. Like what what should I watch? And I realized I always got this film and Oliver and Company always mixed up. Mm. I've never seen All Dogs Go to Heaven. Really? You would love All Dogs Go to Heaven. I've never seen it. I think I always thought it was Oliver because Oliver and Company was like one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. Disney film about, you know, a cat hanging out with some dogs and like becoming a dog and just like being cool. And (laughs) why should he worry? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And dogs wearing sunglasses. I was like, that's the coolest thing. And I think there's a poster for All Dogs Go to Heaven where a dog is wearing sunglasses. So I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's the movie I saw. And like so, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen this film. It's a dark. This is a dark kids it's, movie it's, too. I, well, I rewatched it today, just yeah. just in just for today, and I was like, <laughs> "What is going on here?" He's yeah. like, "I'll just refresh myself." A heart. Yeah. It's broken. <laughs> no, it was just like the the beginning of the movie. So you have you have um, Charlie B. Barkin played by Burt Reynolds. Breaking out of of dog the dog pound with uh, <laughs> his sidekick Itchy played by Dom DeLuise, and it was just I was just like, what is going on? Like they 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 basically do a jailbreak, and then they're getting shot at by like the people who run the dog pound, and then they get back to Charlie's riverboat where again they are having like they're having rat races in there. Like it looks like a greyhound race. 
with like so much of this is coming back to me as as you're talking i'm dying and then they're like oh charlie's back i you have the oh what's the villains i just watched it he's he's like a pit bull or or like a bulldog he's a bulldog and uh carface his name's carface the bulldog and he's like you know what I set up Charlie to go to prison, and he, I put him on <laughs> death. I, they put him on death row, and I was like, "What is this children's movie?" And so they're like, "You know what? I don't want to share any of my profits because they used to run a riverboat gambling place together." And he just this he, might be the most New Orleans movie ever, right, dude. It's it is a New Orleans like mob movie, yeah, only with, with dogs. dogs. <laughs> and and so like the thing that's that was nuts to me watching this because I watched this a ton as a kid. I was like, you have, they're like, okay, we got a plan to kill Charlie and they, they're going to kill him during Mardi Gras and they get him drunk. They, I was like, they have a drunk dog in this. And then they run him over with a car over off the pier. And then he comes back to life after getting like a stopwatch and then has to watch out for an orphan. But the entire time he's just using her to, because she can talk to animals and she can basically know which horse is going to win the big race or which thing is going to win. Oh, shit. Maybe I have seen this because this sounds very and then, familiar. Well, then he starts his own casino and then it's <laughs> it was just like, wow, yeah, no, the most someone New Orleans to, movie. Someone needs to remake this into like some gritty HBO, like just crime you drama. Yeah. That's like and then in the people. writing credits, it's just <laughs> yeah. like based on the film. Based on, yeah. And like, <laughs> All dogs like, go to heaven. Like also a guy gets like run off, but then his ghost comes back yeah. to like, you know. Um, fact check real quick. MGM Kids is the uh, company. So MGM distributed this under go. their oh that's yeah because it was literally louis b mayor you dog yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then going back real quick uh no john goodman has not been nominated for any academy awards a lot of emmys a lot of primetime emmys never for an oscar i didn't think so quick yeah. little fact check there wow well drew i think you're two for two yeah <laughs> no that is like I, it's like both these movies like rewatching these movies i'm just like i feel like Lord. i feel like half that would be a crazy double feature yeah because you know, they both feature dogs and great danes yeah <laughs> I feel like off of that film, like half of mine should not even be considered like Louisiana <laughs> films. Like that is so crazy good. That's oh, fantastic. it was, it was, yeah. No, I mean, like he goes to hell and then comes back to like gets to gets to go to heaven after finding a home for wow. his orphan friend. Yeah, dogs, man, dogs. All right. Well, my number four um, is actually a pretty crazy. New Orleans film um, just because it has the craziest one of the craziest. I don't know if he's the, but he's up there. Uh, Nicholas cage is in this guy mm. and I'm talking about bad Lieutenant port of call in New Orleans directed by Werner Herzog. This is a, a weird, weird film. If you want to go on a trip to where you feel like you're addicted to painkillers, watch, watch this movie because you feel like you are the whole, the, this is a, Spiritual sequel to an old Harvey Keitel film called Bad Lieutenant. Where yeah, it's, directed by Abel Ferreira. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's just all about a guy who is a good cop that gets hurt and then gets addicted to painkillers. And so he starts doing some not great things because he has to, you know, feed his addiction in some way. And it, at this point, it doesn't matter if it's painkillers or narcotics. Like he's just turning into a bad cop. But in some weird turn of way, he is a good person, or at least he thinks he is like that person still that comes out. 
But this is one of those homes that just kind of uses New Orleans and Louisiana as a backdrop. It is in the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Yeah, so, he hurts his back saving a guy it, during the it, storm. Exactly. Like, basically, so, and one of the reasons why this is on my list is the cast alone. I mean, you have Nick Cage as the, the star. You have Val Kilmer as his pseudo-partner and eventual subordinate. You have Eva Mendez as his hookup girl prostitute that's just, you know, going around town. You have Shea Wiggum coming in as a gangster. You have uh, Exhibit playing the big, bad, like, gangster mob boss. Pretty good him. acting from Exhibit, Dude, this, Especially to be his first scene where all he's doing is just laughing. He's coming in with his lawyer, and he's just like, yeah, I'm here. Ha, ha, ha. Pimp my ride. And it's like the most forced, <laughs> like, laugh. It's, it's pretty funny. But Nick Cage is just being pure Nick Cage in this. Because he has to be. He has to be a guy that's haunched over most of the time, just trying to fuck over anyone in front of him to just feel like a normal person. But at the end of it all, enough stuff gets put into his place, like where when other people start doing shitty things in front of him, he calls them out because he's like, I'm doing this for a purpose for me. I'm not a bad person towards other people unless it benefits, like, not that if it benefits me, but it's just so I get through, like, there, I'm not hurting anyone. Where, like, he has to stop Val Kim, where he has to, oh, Michael Shannon even has a small, like, role in this. But he has to stop these people from doing bad things. He gets in with his bookie, so there's a lot of bets going on. Um, there is, like, the the aftermath wake of you see the, uh, like, the neighborhoods that have just been devastated by Katrina. And so because of that, they have to turn to things that they normally wouldn't. You have uh force Whitaker's son. I forget what his, is it Denzel Denzel Whitaker uh, is in it. And he, it is 15, I think at the time. And like, is just like an informant and pops around. It's just an amalgam weird film. It does not make you feel good at any any moment. Nick Cage is literally Nick Cage just off the wall, like not good, but also amazing. That's Smoking out of his lucky crack pipe. Lucky crack pipe, planting evidence, uh, getting like busting busting college kids at a club and getting one of them to jerk him off while he's sticking up the other one, while he's then like planting money for other people like it's just this weird 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 amalgam film but in a devastated kind of time of new orleans where people were just taking advantage of the situation warner herzog who's known for his documentaries just comes in and makes one of i think like three feature films he's actually made like actual like film films but you can tell he's a documentary filmmaker because there's just these random cuts of him just like zoomed up on animals with like the cameras he used like for Grizzly GoPro Man. on a fucking alligator at one yeah, point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like and GoPro like on the alligator but facing their eye. The iguana scene where they're not really there. And it's just, it's honestly one of the funniest scenes. Google it right now. Just YouTube iguana bad lieutenant. And it's a scene where they're on a stakeout and it's – Nick Cage, Val Kilmer, and like two other guys, and he just walks in and he's like, All right, what are we doing? He's like, We're standing out this guy. He's like, Well, what are these things doing here? He's like, What are you talking about? Like, these fucking iguanas. He's like, There's no iguanas there. And he like slaps the iguanas. He's like, There's two iguanas right here. There's no fucking iguanas there. And then it just cuts to this shot of a, a GoPro on these iguanas while Nick Cage is just like manically smiling at the camera. It's the weirdest fucking thing. Now, Nicholas, please, can you please just yeah. look at the iguana? <laughs> the just iguana look. is you. 
<laughs> I'm sure he said to him at some point. That's a terrible Werner Herzog. But I tried. crazy film, crazy, crazy ass movie. If it's ever on TV, just you want to see some crazy Nick Cage, it, it, it should be up there. You're right. A lot of talk of the Ninth Ward, too. That's one of the, yeah. you know, kind of most famous. It's not really a project, but just, you know, disenfranchised areas in this entire country. Well, in- and, and a lot of that is the uh, Casey's investigating is the murder of a family of African refugees. So what I was talking about, like the cultural amalgam, like when he's at the funeral, they're doing these crazy like rituals that are like known for down. That's like an, a, you know, combination of African Not and crazy Dan rituals, stuff. just different no, to us. Diff- yes. different. Yeah. Yes. And that's what I mean. But like, but they're also like a combination of like Louisiana and African, like African, uh, like, you know, uh, funeral rites is what I was trying to go for. But then when he's there, they all turn against him and push him out. But then they all want him to solve the murder. So like, there's just this weird, like give and take of, of the culture. And this, I think this movie really captivates the chaos of the aftermath of Katrina, especially in the midst of, you know, the police just kind of, like I said, like he's literally like, as he goes through and he actually does help and solve a lot of crimes. But as he does it, whenever he sees drugs, he's like, Nope, I'm a cop. Give me that in my pocket and it's mine. And it's so, yeah, he's literally a bad lieutenant who eventually becomes police captain. Well, his character reminds me kind of a bit of uh, his character in Bringing Out the Dead um, when he's that, when he's a paramedic and he's kind of just trying to, he's very manic, very just, I hate my job and I'm trying to drop the transmission, trying to just not be able to work tonight. But he's also kind of like, he kind of has like that like psychotic break throughout the movie where he doesn't know like what to do with his life. But then in bad Lieutenant, he's kind of still kind of just that, well, it's maybe just cause it's Nick cage kind of just being Nick cage. I think I, it's just it's, him. Just it, It's really crazy. Cause you can actually like look at it and just be like, Oh, this is Nick cage just being crazy. But when you look at it, like it is a guy that hates the fact that he's addicted to these drugs, but he but he is, and it's the only way he can feel okay is because he has this severe back injury. Like he, he would not have been this person if it wasn't for him trying to do a good thing. Where all of his guys at the beginning are telling him, "Don't this is a, like he's saving a, a criminal locked in a, a cell that's about to drown." They're like, "He's gonna like, like big deal. They have the fire department save him." But he decides to do it, and then just become it just spins him down the spiral. So it's it. There is actually some good nuanced acting from Nick Cage in it. But it is also it's Nick Cage. Does this movie get a shout out in uh, unbearable weight of massive? Talent? I need to go back through after watch watching this for this episode. I need to go see the unbearable weight again because I was convinced when I watched it the first time that they referenced every single Nick Cage movie. Like that, I was amazed. At, it's like a like hundred movies. It's it's <laughs> no, it's crazy. Like if it's not just one line, there's even one where he literally just goes. No, not the bees. Just to reference that <laughs> the Wicker Man, the, the Wicker Man. Yeah. Like it's it's funny. Like the extent they went to. So I'm like, okay, there has to be a, a a bad lieutenant reference somewhere. Well, if anything, it's in that it's in Pedro Pascal's trophy room of all his it, exactly. Stuff. I'm sure there's probably like maybe his lucky crack pipe is some is somewhere in there, you know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, bad lieutenant, crazy Nick Cage film. Just ha- and and like what we talked about uh, structure. Like I think like the backdrop. You see a lot of that, you know, New Orleans structure, those balconies, those those awnings, those overlays, and then the swamps and the gators and all that, all that stuff. 
Uh, my number four is, I guess I would cons- consider it maybe my legacy pick, uh, but it's uh, the James Bond film Live and Let Die. Uh, this was Roger Moore's first outing as James Bond. This is my number two. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I'll, I'll say just a couple things, and if you want to... No, no, no. Like, go, go for it, and I'll just chime in with... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I just think this is an important one to have on, on the list for, for Louisiana because it was the first time James Bond ever came to America. And they chose New Orleans as the backdrop. I think there's a little bit in New York as well, but... In, in the very beginning. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, and, you know, it's it's a Bond movie from the 70s. It's going to have its problems uh, throughout the film. But it, it does give you the gators. It gives you a lot of voodoo. Uh, you know, there is Mardi Gras, there is Bourbon Street, there is all, all the New Orleans tropes in it. Yeah, you have the, you know, you have Solitaire, who is the fortune teller, the tarot cards, the, the, you have Baron Samity, the evil voodoo witch that, you know, Dr. Karnaga is like, he's the, the threat, the reason Karnaga is feared is because if you don't obey me, I got Baron Sam, you know, like, mm-hmm. so nobody wants to mess with him. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, to me, like what we talked about at the beginning of these tropes, I, I, I don't know how in depth we went to, but the voodoo aspect is, is crazy huge, mm-hmm. especially in this movie to where it makes like Baron Samity. Like, I remember being terrified of this Bond villain, all the other Bond villains. It was just like, obviously bad guy. Mm-hmm. This guy was scary. The face paint, the top hat, the trench coat. There'll be another movie we'll talk about later that this character eventually like influences. And it's a huge part, especially the way that he quote unquote dies in the movie of throwing into a coffin of poisonous snakes meant for someone else. But then at the end of the movie, he's sitting at the front of the train. Like the guy just embodies the, the magic, the unknown of Louisiana, of new Orleans of you can go down there and party, but, and the, and the bright lights are great on, on the city, but those lights end at some point and there's some darkness out there. There's some, there's some, you know, there's some magic, there's some things going on. And that was all what Dr. Kanaga did. I mean, like and he, and he did both sides of like being the villain of masking as Mr. Big running the restaurants and then also just threatening the people of this area with kind of exploiting their like superstitions and their religious beliefs with it, with this guy, you think, but then you find out, no, Baron Samity has got some magic up his sleeve. And I think it is like the only time there's ever been a Bond villain that has somewhat of a supernatural, supernatural yeah. uh, thing to it where you have Jaws shows up a bunch, but you could be like, oh, he could have survived. There is no mm. like he's been resurrected where Baron Samity was like, no, like you died, man. We saw that. But then here you are just laughing at the end of it. Always bummed he never got peppered back into the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, it is strange he never was used but, again. But, it, it, but it's kind of good. But yeah, that is um, – I mean, we've talked about it on the Bond episode. Roger Moore was never really my favorite. There, You know, like you talk about problems. Like there's a part where like you have this, you have this girl, this gorgeous girl who has this power. Like she has a power literally to see the future and present events happening through her tarot cards. And Bond like – sabotages her cards to make it so she thinks they have to sleep together and because they do she now loses her powers and bond's just like oh well guess you have to come with me because i'm the best chance you have to survive and it's just like come on james come on man like that's that's rough but like granted it is a 
old, old, you know, movies. So, of course, you got to have those, at the time, those Bond-esque kind of, you know, for whatever they thought was suave at the time or or seducing. As they said in the quote, he seduces her. But, like, that's not. That's not what that was. But what they did, uh, especially when you brought up the Gators, there is a great part where these two iconic henchmen, guy with a prosthetic arm and guy with a tweed jacket, like put him on this island and he's surrounded by gators. And it's this stunt where he escapes by running on the backs of gators, these gators. And they are all real alligators. Mm, yeah. And there's a great video on YouTube of the stuntman. And it takes him like 15 takes where he's run, trying to run on alligators and tripping and they're snapping at him. And they have people on site like the, no one in within frame. Like it is a wide frame. So you can't have a lot of people like close at hand. And the guys are just totally fine. And eventually he pulls it off. And he's doing this in a tuxedo, by the way. So great practical effect. But yeah, one of my favorite Bond films. The best Bond song. It's my favorite Bond song. Oh yeah, I, I had yeah. a Paul whole McCartney. I had a whole bit for when this was going to be my number two, where I was going to introduce it, and I was going to be like, guys, you know, when you were young, and your heart was an open book, <laughs> you used to say "Live and Let Live." But I was going to I was going to I was going to go through the whole thing because it would have been silent like that. You guys were like, "What the fuck is this guy talking about?" Cool. So, uh, so Max ruined my joke, but oh, but it's a great pick. Like I said, I we don't these we can't win these episodes, but Max wins. <laughs> Max won. <laughs> Drew's giving him a run for his money, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> well, it's gonna get a little depressing after this. Yeah. I'll continue with the uh, the weird AMAC picks here. Uh, my number four is a Walter Hill directed film called Southern Comfort. Now Walter Hill is the director of. Uh, films such as The Warriors, Forty Eight Hours. I also come to came to find out that he was a big producer on Alien and Aliens. Uh, really had his hand in that franchise and a few other pretty iconic sci fi genre films going forward. But this for me is kind of my spiritual. Even though I come, this was the first time watch for me, I've come to really enjoy this film. It's kind of my spiritual stand in for Deliverance, though. As we work our way through the American South here, from Texas to Louisiana to Florida, you know, we don't touch on. The, the on deliverance but but this f- film is very very much influenced by that movie uh it's the story of some national guardsmen who are on drill for a weekend and you know they're guys with not a lot of training not a lot of respect for order and their task for the weekend is to do just some light reconnaissance through the bayou um and and kind of navigate and and chart out this swamp well, what they come to find is that the swamp has been flooded and to complete their quote unquote mission, they need to travel further down river and to do so, they use these canoes, these small boats that they find, come to find out that they belong to some Cajun folk who live back in this swamp and they don't take kindly to these National Guardsmen stealing their canoes and what you then get is a very deliverance-esque plot that unfurls the leader of the group is killed and it kind of turns into lord of the flies where these these men who all think that they know what to do really have no clue how to best handle this situation becomes a very very intense story of survival not a lot of star power in this film either, which I always really appreciate when a movie can can kind of just carry on 
its plot alone. It's Keith Carradine, David Carradine's brother, and Powers Booth, who I really enjoy. Powers Booth, never really see him in too much. There's a um, lot of guys in these where you're like, oh, it's that guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, no, this is a that guy movie. It, it really is. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. Uh, an insanely intense final 15 minutes in this movie too, when you're not sure if our you know, last men standing have found safety or not. And what happens, I don't want to spoil anything because I don't feel like this is probably a very, um, you know, highly seen film. So, so yeah, the last 15 minutes, really intense, really good stuff. A great swamp movie. You know, we talked earlier about, about, um, you know, movies that take place solely in a swamp and, and this is up there. Um, so, so I really had fun visiting this film, Southern comfort, highly, highly recommend it. All right. So now we're on to our number threes. All right. You said it's getting dark now. Well, I mean, it it, it will get okay. progressively. Okay. Not yet, okay. but I mean, I, I so I have Interview with can, the Vampire. Can, can we get darker than um, <laughs> All Dogs Go to Heaven? I don't uh, know. We'll certainly see. not. Maybe Lestat. Maybe like, Lestat. Damn, how can dark do it, is this list, yeah. man? <laughs> Bring us out of the dark. Yeah. Well, there's just one that I, like, after rewatch no, yeah. later on, that I'm like, oh, this got kind of dark from what I remember. Uh, but no, uh, Interview with the Vampire is my number three. And so... Is this on anybody else's list? It was not on mine. It's on the long list. Mm-hmm, for um, sure. Unfortunately, it's on I, my I, watch list. I, I have never seen this. Film. I didn't get to revisit it, and so I just didn't feel comfortable putting it on the list. Well, I'm glad you have it on there, yeah. Drew, because yeah. I was like, oh, I need to have this on, but hopefully someone else does. So, yeah. so go for it. That's yeah. why I'm here. So, well, I like how it takes place first. The interview is taking place in San Francisco, but every, all the entire backstory, everything happens in New Orleans. And so you have Tom Cruise. I don't. I do not want to try to say their names. They're Lestat. Is what was it was? There was super French names in there, except for like Claudia, like Madeline, and stuff. Like right. That. They have very like, regal names. Yes. Yeah. And so it's you know Brad Pitt um, gets what he gets turned into a vampire in the what was it the seven, late seventeen hundreds, early eighteen hundreds, and just because he just lost his wife and unborn child, and so. Lestat, Tom Cruise, comes up and is just like, hey, you know, just want to be a vampire? And he's like, yeah, okay. Why not? You you basically said, oh, I can solve all my problems by just being a vampire. And then he tries to train him how to hunt people. And he's like, I don't want to do that. So he lives off of animal blood. And then it's just a, a the, the movie is just a power struggle between those two. And then later on, even when they get uh, a young Kirsten Dunst, um, who's Claudia and they it's it's kind of that thing where it's uh, Lestat sees her as you know a daughter and as time goes by it's kind of that weird thing where it's Brad Pitt and Kirsten Dunst like they kind of form a romantic uh, bond because they've been around each other for decades and then just trying to escape Tom Cruise's character and then lighting him on fire and trying to kill him in multiple ways. And he just can't die. And then so they run off to Paris. And the thing, okay, so with this movie, and actually I'll bring it up later. I have a I have a tangent I'm gonna go on later with the other picks I have. But um just kind of you see, you have to witness like Brad Pitt's character has to witness all this death in his life. He first loses his wife and unborn child. And then he has to try to kill Lestat, like Tom Cruise's character multiple times. He has to witness the death of Claudia later on and 
her new protector, Madeline, like he like they just get burnt up in the sunlight while he's just stashed away. And then Antonio Banderas comes in and saves him. I was waiting for you to bring up my guy. Uh, oh, yeah. Antonio Banderas. Oh, I, that's another name. It's like I, I every time I hear it, I'm like, yes, that's that is your name because I don't want to even try to pronounce it right now. Um, and so it's it's you know, and then it's the end of the movie. I think they do a really good job with uh, with after he finally finishes the interview, and then Christian Slater's character is just like. So you're going to turn me into a vampire, right? He's like, dude, did you not just don't, hear my Don't story? spoil too much for Grant. <laughs> he said he'd never seen it. Well, <laughs> I'm doing video work right now. I'm kind of tuned out. It's been 20 years, man. <laughs> That's, no, fair. It, That's no, fair. No, fair. No, very fair. Absolutely. I came into this describing the whole all, all the beginning, middle, end. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's still that. It's I know a lot of people sometimes have problems with Kirsten Dunst and Brad Pitt kind of sharing a kiss on the screen. It's like, it makes sense in the, in the story, but yeah, I, she was like 10, but yeah, it's a little weird, but no, it was, I, I still enjoy watching this film. It was, it was a nice rewatch. Um, it's really iconic. I mean, all the costumes, the settings, right. everything in candlelight. It feels very French uh, when yes. we're in when we're in Louisiana. That that influence. Yeah, this this is a it's kind of a timeless film. Um, you know, obviously, different parts of every vampire movie is going to be problematic because of the nature of how they have to pray and seduce people, and you know, you have these people who are older being trapped in younger bodies. But, you know, I think that this movie kind of came along at a, a interesting time for vampire films. And ever since then, vampires have only grown in our estimation as we've kind of romanticized them. This is a very romantic movie with also being pretty brutally, I don't know, honest with the subject matter, I would say. Right. And, and not trying to turn it into a, a Twilight or a franchise, even though, of course, we did get the... Queen of the Damned, Aaliyah film, uh, many years later when Lestat does come back. So, so it did get franchised a little bit, but no, I, this is a great movie. A friend of the friend of the network, Morgan Chun, his favorite movie of all time. <laughs> yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. So a, a good pick, a, a very solid pick. And, and once again, you know, I think that this area lends itself very well to the horror genre. And oh, so, yeah. yeah, I think a lot of us have kind of touched on that already. So that's solid. Well, it's like, especially just being so much of the French quarter that you mm-hmm. see in this film and kind of, it's just those dark alleyways kind of just trying to, that stalking feeling of just humans getting. Yeah. It feels over. like, it feels like 1800 London with Jack the Ripper or yep. something at times. It's, it's really good. All right, Grant. All right. Um, kind of going off of the vibe of my last one of, Post Katrina, the not so bright uh, side of Louisiana, going with a film that I took a little while to watch and was pleasantly surprised, especially with the low budget and the people that at the time were in it, or like even like I, I don't know. It's it's really hard to uh, place. I'm talking about uh, Melina Mastukas's Queen and Slim. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya, Jody Turner Smith, Bokeem Woodbine, Chloe Sevigny, Lena Waithe has a small role in it and uh, writes uh, writes the screenplay along with a guy named James Frey. Story of if you're not familiar, a uh, young black couple on a first date that is not inherently going too well, 
And uh, on the way home, it starts getting better. And they think that like, okay, like maybe there will be a second date. And they get pulled over by a white cop and is not uh, doing things by the book. And it get, turns into a scuffle to where uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character ends up pulling the gun from the cop and killing him. And so the two immediately go on a Bonnie and Clyde run. They immediately just. And that, that whole scene happens in New Orleans or in Ohio, right? In, in Ohio. Yeah, that you're talking about. And so they know that the, like through the two of them that the only safe place is there's a connection in New Orleans where they can get them to Cuba. And so they bolt down the coast and that's where they bump. They go to the Bokeem Woodbine character, a movie that I think kind of had a lot of hype and a lot of uh, publicity, but maybe not a lot of people watched and slept on. So I don't want to give away too much, but it really shows that that backside of New Orleans, like the people that are there and the uh, the inner workings of how things will work between gangs and law enforcement and businesses and drug dealings and how these two people that are at ends on, on, on a first date end up be, like turning into like these, this power couple, this, the, these two people that are fiercely independent and become reliant on each other and are able to, outsmart and outwit a lot of people that have been here for a while has a great little, you know, final last stand scene at the end. Daniel Kaluuya is Daniel Kaluuya. The guy I have never seen the guy deliver a bad performance from black Panther to this, to his Oscar winning performance in Judas and the black Messiah. I mean, the guy is consistent. The guy just, there's a scene where they're like, they even like take pictures, like they're posing for pictures. And it was part of like, I love it when movies do this, where it's like, they're filming a scene, but they're also doing some marketing behind it. So they have other cameras going and there's shots of this guy where it's like Danny Kalua is probably going to go down in history as like one of the top 100 coolest people to ever walk the face of the earth because the guy just has so much coolness and swag and he brings it to this character. Like, I feel like a lot of this is just him. If he was ever in this situation, maybe obviously, you know, turned up to 11 a little bit. But I mean, and then honestly, like I was very surprised when I watched it to see Bokeem Woodmine show up. And there's a guy where it's like every time he shows up, I'm like, ah, this guy. Fantastic actor. He, he, good acting chops that for some reason doesn't get a lot of recognition and gets these, I don't want to say like lower budget or B movies, but just kind of ones that are just not so widely regarded in the mainstream. Um, Go and, watch the second season of Fargo. He is Fan fucking tastic in that. Yeah, the guy, the guy is just he he is a good actor. And uh, Melina Mustaka is like this is her only feature film. She's only done commercials or TV shows or music videos. So it's kind of cool to see her just jump in and do something really really great. Especially for uh, Jody Turner Smith, who has the same. I I believe this like, she's done maybe a couple other films, but this is like the biggest thing other than some other TV shows she's done. But uh, really, really fun watch. Like it is a, like a new age Bonnie and Clyde. New age Bonnie and Clyde is the best way to describe it. Well, yeah, that that gas station scene is so intense. Oh man, it's 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 like yeah, you know, I, I again, this is a movie that I know like I people have not really seen, which kind of just it deserves to be seen. Yeah, like don't not trying I, to I like, forget was it a prime release or did it come out in theaters? It came out in theaters. But I remember it was it was I think it lived on prime it, for a yeah, while. Yeah, it, it, it got there real quick right after it, it left the theaters. And the scene Drew's talking about is one of the scenes where 
yes, this feels like a adrenaline pedal to the metal, like running from the law kind of movie. There are slow burn dramatic moments that are just them trying to like blend in with some people and just kind of live their lives while they know that two states away, people are looking for them. And it's like down south, two states away is nothing. Because what they're in, are they in Kentucky at this point? I think they're, they're in, in Kentucky yeah, as they're making their way down to Louisiana when the, when the scene you're talking yeah, about that's, happens. It's, it's, it's a very, one of the most, uh, like adrenaline, anxious inducing moments you've ever seen on film. It's, it's pretty crazy. My number three, uh, Again, doesn't really have anything to do with New Orleans or or Louisiana, really. Uh, it just happens to be set there. And it's the uh, Tony Scott film, Deja Vu, with Denzel Washington. And uh, listen, I, the more and more I watch these later Tony Scott films, that man had – he did Michael Bay style right. Like, he has such – panache and style behind the camera and makes it so fucking entertaining to watch these movies. And this movie is, is crazy. It's, it's got like a a bit of time travel in it. It's a cop movie. It's, it's a, you know, it's a a thriller that you're trying to, a whodunit. Um, A love story with Paula Patton. A love story. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's got a lot going on in it, but, Denzel, Tony Scott, uh, you've got New Orleans as as the backdrop, and just a really fun, fun movie. A lot like you know, I hope we do a Tony Scott episode one day because like this, he deserves it. Taking Pelham one two three, unstoppable man on fire. Man man on fire. On fire. Your favorite of all time, True Romance. Can't forget can't <laughs> his leave late that period out. is is fantastic. Domino baby, Domino, Domino is my fucking favorite. That's yeah, like, but I digress. But uh, just just really really enjoy this movie. Denzel is just doing Denzel things. Uh, he really does just play Denzel Washington on screen. It's so. It's 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 really interesting because he he does it so well that like we love 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 Denzel but like he when's the last time Denzel has ever taken any sort of chance he doesn't really do that but like he's just so good at being Denzel and I think he's like an ATF officer or something like that in this Val Kilmer I was shows just up say it once again another yeah, Val Kilmer Val Kilmer in the Bayou again. <laughs> uh, and we've got you know other people like Adam Goldberg and. Uh, I can't b- remember the guy's name. He's a that guy. He does like the autopsy. Is it this or out of time that Eva Mendez is in? Eva Mendez is in out of time. Okay, yeah, this is Paula mind. Patton. Yeah. Another yeah, Paula Patton, who who's fantastic as well and should be in way more things. I don't know why that didn't take off. But uh yeah, just just a just a good thriller. Just a really good thriller. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those 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 helicopter sweeping shots of the ferry that mm-hmm. because of the time travel we see the same shot like four or five times. It works. It works. It really works. And I, I love, love I love what you said that this is like Michael Bay done right because I feel like these movies, these late Tony Scott movies are Ridley Scott and Michael Bay just they are, put into one. They are very very Michael Bayish, but but again, like Michael Bay is like the in sync version where this is like this is just deeper, yeah. <laughs> you know. 
Well, he's in the middle of his his Denzel trilogy, right? That he does, yeah. and this because it goes Man on Fire, Deja Vu, and then um, Taking a Pelham One Two Three, and then Unstoppable. Is that the one? So it's Unst- a, oh, Unstoppable, Unstoppable, a quad, a quad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. I totally <laughs> forgot he was in Taking of One Pelham One Two Three, but yeah. it was it was because he did a lot of interesting camera stuff in Man on Fire that carries over into this film, mm-hmm. where it's like uh, a lot of the double exposed film mm. that he has with uh, in Man on Fire he takes into Deja Vu kind of just to show the present and future at the same time and it's 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 well done I mean as much as like you want to say it's like Michael Bay done right is the perfect way to put it that it's, really is yeah. I've never heard that before that's good <laughs> it's it's you got explosions but you also have like well done camera work that I absolutely love from this from all of his movies. Yeah, yeah. R.I.P. Tony. He was he was a master. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, my number three is Sex Lies and Videotape. This is Steven Soderbergh's directorial debut. It takes place in Baton Rouge. It stars Andy McDowell, Peter Gallagher, and the Lord James Spader, of course. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, this is a an erotic drama, I'll call it. It doesn't quite reach thriller status. Um, but, but it certainly has thrills in it. It is not as explicit as the title may seem. If you've never seen this movie, it is a slow burn, but it's, it's perfect for the setting of Louisiana and Baton Rouge with the big willow trees, the Spanish moss, all of it feels very sensual. It it really helps set the mood for this film. James Spader, especially he carries it. Not that Andy McDowell and Peter Gallagher don't deliver ex- extraordinary performances, but Spader man, just like the way he lives and, and the lifestyle that, that he lives the way that it, it feels like in every scene you get him and it, like his shirt's got one more button undone, you know, and that kind of goes to like that, just like that fiery daytime presence that I was talking about at the beginning. Um, everybody, Andy McDowell too, just loose clothing. It all feels very Southern, very, um, especially Northern Louisiana where Baton Rouge is much further North than New Orleans. Um, so, so you're not getting as much like wind coming off of the ocean, things like that. Uh, a really good movie that, that Soderbergh, you know, this, this was his directorial debut and he came and he, put himself on the map. I believe this one, the Palm Dior at Cannes, the year that it came out, which was just like extremely impressive for a young filmmaker to do. Um, you know, this is in the Criterion collection. I highly recommend checking it out on a blind buy. You won't be disappointed next time a flash sale, flash sale comes around. Um, so yeah, sex lies and videotape really the first film that I thought of when we were going to do these lists. And then my number two and my number one, just kind of leapfrogged it after I started thinking about it more, but I love this movie. I don't think I've ever really gotten to talk about it on the podcast. So it's perfect opportunity. I, uh, embarrassingly have never seen this film. I, I remember you saying that. Yeah. uh, It was on my long list to watch and I didn't get to it. Uh, same boat. Yeah. Yeah. Grant. Wow. Guys, you've never seen this movie that I've never seen, (laughs) man. Can't believe it. Wow. Soderbergh comes out with like seven movies a year. I'm yeah, honestly, I'm we, honestly. Need to, we need to grow up and watch Sex Lies and Videotapes. I love Steven Soderbergh. I, honestly, I'm surprised I've, I haven't seen it. The this, closest so. I've ever come to seeing this movie was seeing it at a blockbuster video. It's got an mm-hmm. iconic cover. And then I was mm-hmm. and then I laughed at the title because I was twelve years old. And I was like, ah, nice. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Sex. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we get to our respective top twos. 
we want to take this opportunity to tell everybody about the Gig Harbor Beer Festival. Last chance to buy tickets. I'll tell you what, they're on sale right now and only right for now. a limited amount um, of time. Get close. It is the 11th annual Gig Harbor Beer Festival, and that is this Saturday, May 14th, in beautiful Gig Harbor, Washington. Some of your favorite Puget Sound breweries will be pouring their most popular beers at this annual community event that also features local hard seltzers and ciders. Award-winning Heritage Distilling will be pouring at their very popular Heritage Lounge, Heritage Lounge, and there will be live music throughout the day on the Uptown Gig Harbor Pavilion stage. Tickets are still available at Eventbrite or by visiting gigharborbeerfestival.com, and you can click on Buy Tickets. But do it now, because once again, this event is scheduled for Saturday, May 14th, and is brought to you in part by Washington State Lottery. Drew, growing up, did you ever think that our little sleepy town of Gig Harbor would host a beer festival? I mean, absolutely. Um, if, I, if I had, <laughs> if you had anything to if do with it, it, it was going to happen. happen. Yeah. <laughs> fair, very, very, very fair. I mean, I'm going. I already got my ticket. Yeah, really, awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, if you yeah. want to come find me and talk about Scooby Doo on Zombie Island, I would be more than happy to. <laughs> okay, yeah, we can't wait to get you on the mics again. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, we had him back, and there he goes. <laughs> now he's at the beer festival dressed up like Shaggy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's get back into our list, our number twos. Drew, what do you have? So my number two is a streetcar named Desire. Taking it way back. Oh, yeah. 1951, Brando's second film credit and his first nomination for Best Actor. But the character he plays in this is a total asshole. And if there is a stronger word to use, I'll I say would. shit heel. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, he was just oh, he's shit heel. I like that. Yeah, he was just the worst in this movie, and it's, I mean, he plays it well, obviously, because he got nominated for an Oscar. But wow, just what a movie this is that I did not understand. Every so many things went over my head the first time I saw this when I was like fourteen or fifteen. It was that part of me when I was younger. I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to watch some older movies trying to, you know, make myself seem. I'm going to watch some capital F films. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some yeah. cinema. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, no, I did not catch on to a lot of different things. Um, Vivian Leigh is fantastic in this movie. Um, just as a Missouri teacher coming down to live with her sister and her husband in New Orleans. Literally the first she gets off the. Off the train, just goes. Excuse me, I'm trying to find the street the streetcar named Desire. You instantly get the Leo like, meme in this. Yeah. Like, yeah, there it is. But yeah, that was pretty much the last time I laughed in this movie. So yeah, it is a kind. Of, it's a very brutal character movie. It's just kind of just Vivian Leigh's character Blanche getting just destroyed by berated yeah. every single every, scene. Every time her and Brando are in a scene together, he is just. The just if he could just be the biggest asshole, if like he was trying to be a con, if there was a contest for biggest asshole, he won it every time they're on screen together. The worst part about it, too, is like the best looking jerk, yeah, ever. He was 26 at this ever. point, ever. He, like, I was watching this, um, and I'm thinking, like, you know, people are going, they're getting googly eyes for Jacob Elordi right now. Brando is like Jacob Elordi before Jacob Elordi, where he's got that that brow, those eyes, the hair, the dirty white T-shirt, the arms. Every single bit of Brando in this movie is just like screaming, hunk, like 
sex icon. And but the entire time you're just like, but you are such an asshole. You yeah. are oh, yeah. such a well, jerk. Well, it's like his first scene with Vivian Leigh when he comes home after bowling, after getting to a fight in the bowling alley. He uh, he drenched just, too, like just, soaking wet. He's so he's, sweaty. It's like he played like ten games straight, <laughs> yeah. and it was just like, yeah, you know what? Popping the shirt off, throwing real a quick. fucking eighteen pound ball too. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And then well, it's like this entire film is his his character is there to just. Again, just berate, destroyed Vivian Lane's character of Blanche. And she's had, you know, like a lot of problems going on in her life. So she has to move in with her, uh, with her sister and her husband. She like the, they lost their family home. Right. A lot of death. A lot of, a lot of death, a lot of debt. Mm -hmm. And Brando the entire time is trying to figure out like, oh, you know, why are you down here? You must have there must be some money and or inheritance that you got that. Where'd you get sh- this Fox fur? Oh. <laughs> oh, she got it. She's had it for years. It was like 10 cents. It, it's just all these things where it's like, so Vivian Lay's character is already having a mental breakdown and he is just pushing her farther and farther and farther into pretty much just madness. And again, it's a great character study film. It's but, a play on screen. It's adapted right, from it's the stage from, play. Yeah. What's his face? Um, the director. Um, he was, I believe, the one that wrote this the stage play as well. Or is yeah. it the screenwriter that did that? The, it was Tennessee. What's his face? Yes, that's right. That's right. Tennessee um, Williams. There it yeah, is. There yep. it is. What's his face? You know, one of a, a like a American well, it's playwright. Why, <laughs> no, it's why Hall of Fame. It's widely regarded that his nickname was What's His Face. So. Yeah. No, you're spot on. <laughs> <laughs> no, this no, movie's this movie's fucking nuts. It's available it's, on HBO Max right now too. Yep. Uh, black and white, two hour, just emotional reckoning. It, it feels like it feels like Malcolm. You know, I'm sure Sam Levinson watched this before making Malcolm and Marie. That makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, crazy, crazy film. Really, really emotional impact, emotionally impactful. The one thing I will say about it, and I put this in my letterbox review of it, the, the back and forth between on location filming. And then what is so clearly like a Hollywood back lot mm-hmm. kind of took me out of the movie a little bit where all of a sudden I went from feeling like I was watching and there's nothing wrong with just straight up adapting a, a play to a film. But when there was such a clear distinction of like the shots on the street and the alleyways and stuff, you're like, this is, this feels like the French quarter. This feels like we are, we, I know we're in Louisiana for these scenes. And then once we get inside the apartment, you're like, this is so clearly whether, I don't know if it was universal or or Paramount or what, but you're like, this is just like back lot number 17 in Hollywood, California. Anytime there was like, it, it, they didn't move in a mm-hmm. scene and you could tell like, Oh, because they can't. Right. <laughs> yes. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like when With there's these a, four walls and then that's it. And then like, even in the alleyway going up to the, to the uh, apartment or their duplex or whatever it mm-hmm. was, it's pretty much just like, Oh, Hey, where's my sister live? Oh, right here. Now right walk here. right there. Yeah. And that's it. Still very effective though. And Oh yeah. Still takes place all in. New Orleans. Yeah. So, yeah. And so it's, it's one of those films where it's again, if like for myself watching it as at a young age and stuff going over my head and then you have that Lubitsch touch of, uh, of when he grabs Blanche by the arm and it's kind of, it's not shown, but implied that, you know, Brando rapes Vivian Leigh 
And it's kind of, it's just, it's a very powerful and scene that you're like, oh, this guy, it's like, it's kind of just culminates that this guy is the worst. And I mean, he just had a kid with his wife and all this stuff. And he kind of just gaslights her the entire time. And Vivian Leigh is even like, hey, you know, this happened. And her sister's like, no, it didn't. You're hysterical. You're kind of like, no, we didn't, we'll believe her because. But she tells everybody the entire film. Yep. Yeah. She tells the truth the entire film and no one believes her the entire time. And it's just a breakdown of her character the entire time. And it's just, it's super sad and very depressing, but also it's just a very powerful thing where it's like, hey, you know, mental illness. It's it uh, for a fifties film to highlight mental illness in that fashion was kind of just groundbreaking at its time. And, you know, you have her character just, again, I've said it so many times, but just berated and broken down the entire film. And it's kind of still happens to this day where it's, you know, toxic relationships still happen just like this. Well, it's always interesting too, when, when you finally do sit down and watch a movie like this and it goes against type, it goes against your expectation where I kind of came into this film thinking that I was getting ready to watch like bringing up baby or all about Eve or one of these more like kind of screwball comedies. It's not what not this at is all. not yeah. at all. Yeah. So I enjoyed it for that still though, a, a traumatic movie, yes. honestly. Yes. I great. your number two. My number two was... Um, oh, that's right. James Bond. Yeah, AJ, yeah. Live yeah. and Let Die. If okay. you ever uh, find yourself in this crazy world we live in... Mm, there we go. And you give in and cry, just say Live and Let Die. There you go. I gave it back die. to you for... I, for I had time. to... I'll, 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 Damn! Pa-pam! Bam! Paul McCartney and Wings. It, Fantastic are Wings song. the new Beatles? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, one of the greatest Bond themes of all time, too. Just also had to shout that out. All right, so Max, then you are number two. My number two is the 2008 film from Friend of the Pod, Patron Saint of the Pod, Mr. David Fincher, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. And uh, I'm just going to read an, an excerpt. There's my number one. From Oh, hello. Is it? Yep. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read an excerpt from, from one of the most uh, respected movie critics across the land. Um because I think it just kind of boils it down. Uh, this movie is a blast. It's weird. It's funny. It's sad and sentimental. But above all else, the film is flat out gorgeous. Sands the CGI hummingbird. New Orleans and the other locations that we spend time flashing back to feel perfectly dreamy and of another period, but not overly stylized. That. That was very articulate who wrote that <laughs> uh, me. that that uh really sums it up for me i mean this movie is one of the most gorgeous movies ever uh we spend a lot of time in new orleans not the whole time um but it is i think a very underrated david fincher film i think a lot of people shit on it uh as as that critic and you can go and you know if you search that sentence or whatnot you'll find him um as that critic said uh, in the beginning of his review that, you know, this, this movie took a lot of shit because it was force gump in 2008, but really it's, it's, it's more than that. It's more than that. It's way better done than, than fucking force gump. Um, and I just, I just, I really, I really fucking appreciate this film from David Fincher. Such a, other than like probably Mank, just such a sentimental film from him who we usually get really hard nose, hard cutting 
movies from that guy. Oh yeah. No, that's so it's again, watched it this morning just in preparation. And right after I finished the movie, walked outside, took my dog out and there's a hummingbird. And I was like, ah, had to happen. Had to happen. Did you go to the tattoo parlor in the next? Get it right, <laughs> well, get it right there on your chest. No, nah, I didn't get the one on the, oh, on the, yeah, there on you the go. bicep, on the tricep. Um, but no, it's again, like it's such, it is a beautiful film. It's a, it's a slower film for mm. when you think of Fincher, but yeah, no, this is, I, I, I love this movie and, uh, it's, it's, what, what are the words? What are my words? Um, I don't know. It's, it's watching this again. Cause I haven't watched it in a few years and watching it again. It's kind of that projected face of Brad Pitt on a culmination of different actors until he gets to his correct age. But it's still, I mean, it still works pretty well. And it's, um, yeah, no, I don't know. I, just the whole story between him and Daisy, between um, Benjamin and Daisy is just, it's a tragic love story. Yeah. Yeah. But beautiful at the same time. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and just a great, uh, just a, almost kind of like a road movie. And I know we're, we're, we're trying to do movies that are set in one place, but. Um, well, when I returned to this film, I was honestly surprised at how much of it does take place in new Orleans for like a two hour and 20 minute movie. We do spend a majority of the time yeah. in the big easy, which is nice, especially with, you know, a young Mahershala Ali Taraji, uh, P Henson as well, running the, the old folks home every single time that, that Benjamin comes back to them and, mm-hmm. and he gets to see miss Queenie. Uh, I just, man, I had a smile on my face the entire time. Uh, this movie is, it is really, really fun. And it is that, you know, as that, eloquent uh, <laughs> critic put the way that it's shot and how stylized it is it feels like the best possible version now I, before i like get into these movies these movies that i'm about to mention are not good but i feel like a lot of the same technology was mm. was being used on on movies like sky captain in the world of tomorrow mm. on i know that beowulf was like completely vfx right. But I feel like a lot of the same technology was probably used on Benjamin Button, and it, it was feels like mo. It was the same like mocap. Is that yeah, is that what you're yeah. referring to? And, yeah. and I feel like, but this, and of course, we shouldn't be surprised with like the technical master David Fincher at the helm that this movie was like it used those that that those tools the those best. tools the best. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, a hard movie to put into words. Honestly, I, I understand kind of like what you guys are both saying because. Yes, there's old man baby Brad Pitt, but like once once you just accept that and you and you can have fun with that, this movie's great. It is it is a blast. It it really is. And I mean, for just a couple of years post Katrina, for them to set the story, you know, we're not on the bench with Forrest Gump, right? Narrating this one, we're with the Kate Blanchett character in the hospital as the storms hitting so that's a whole nother dynamic to the film that i kind of had forgotten about um which really helps ground the film in louisiana uh, which uh, yeah i just i really appreciate it this, this is a really fun film i'll tell you what too the cheapest criterion blu-ray you will ever buy just go to a half price books find it the special features on this movie are incredible mm-hmm. i watched them this week uh you know this is a i think a really good entry into the criterion collection if you're looking to start your physical media um you know, collection. So, so yeah, definitely advise picking, picking up the Blu-ray copy of this movie. So you guys are saying you like this movie. It's pretty, I mean, it's Listen, I know, I, I really I, love I, this I, movie. No, 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 no. Cause so I know where like, he's going. So like I know where maybe. he's going with this. 
as like you know a a, a draft pick wasn't as bad of a draft pick. This is like episode he... thirteen on the David oh, draft. Oh, okay. Yeah, you guys gave me shit for drafting this because I listen. Panicked. That's part of the game. I panicked. It's part of the game. I didn't know what was going on. It was and before I had Alex had re- had revisited too. So yeah, this is more on me. No, no, no. I'm playing a game. I, I'm staying. In the drafts, I play a game, and I try to crush. All right? I tried to crush everyone <laughs> I else's picks. I drafted this first-round pick because I panicked, but I stand by it. It's, it's a, a good, It's a movie. fantastic film. Yeah. That, fantastic film. There's a lot of movies that will use narration <laughs> like Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just cutting the tension right now. <laughs> um, like where he's narrating a bit and kind of just showing you his journey. But I feel like this one works very well, especially with kind of – like, because you don't get a lot of dialogue out of the Benjamin Button character when he's on screen sometimes, and so you have the narration, the inner thoughts going on, and it works almost, like, to perfection in this movie. Well, it's just- really creative the way it's done, too, because it's it's his diary that's being read, but by Kate Blanchett's daughter in the hospital. And so that's an interesting dynamic there that, that I do think works really well, and it, right. it adds an interesting kind of twist to the standard narration storytelling that's, device. That's right. some Nolan prestige shit right there. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Reading a novel of someone written by then. Okay, so that was your number two, Max. My number two. My number one. Drew's number one. Okay, so we'll go to my number two. Now, I I want this I want <laughs> this movie to be my number one. Uh, but I had, I have just like an issue with putting a movie that I've only seen once as my number one, but it's a film that I watched for this podcast and that I'm absolutely in love with. It is called down by law. It's directed by Jim Jarmusch. And I watched this movie for the first time Saturday morning. And it, it was one of those movies, Grant, you've said this before, we're 10 minutes into it. And you're just like, I'm throwing my phone to the other side yep. of the room. Yep. I am so ready to just like be immersed in this film. And I love it. I I was overjoyed at at the cinematic experience that this movie provided. Um, I would say it's probably, and you know, I was trying to figure out like, how do I, what do I do? Do I make a new list on letterboxd of like movies that aren't new, but as far as first time watches go, how do I start to rank these? And so I would say that like, this is in my top 10 Mm. most favorite first watches of probably the last, five years like this is up there with other movies that i've discovered recently um that that i just hold so highly um black and white once again took me by total surprise to see tom waits in a leading role john laurie who i don't really have a relationship with and then roberto benini who i think a lot of people remember from life is beautiful winning the best actor award standing up on his chair greatest oscar moments of all time yeah and so people who i've had different weird relationships with throughout different, you know, films, Tom Waits with music, obviously to see them all put together in this movie. That is a extremely warm, fun, kind of intense story of like unconventional friendship, um, and definitely unconventional circumstances. I really don't want to spoil too much because this movie is also available on HBO max right now. And I and I highly highly recommend it, obviously. But but basically, Tom Waits, John Laurie, and Roberto Benigni all end up as cellmates in the New Orleans Parish Prison, and they're all there because they've either been framed or they've kind of just come across like unfortunate circumstances that have landed them there. 
And then, you know, this is in basically every description that you'll read. So this isn't spoiling too much, but they break out of, of prison. And the third act of the movie is kind of like, what happens once you do that? Where, where do you go? And this really dives into the New Orleans and the Louisiana setting because we're in the swamp and we're not sure which way is north, which way is south, where do we go? Um, yeah, I just – I can't recommend this film enough. I, I loved it. Jim Jarmusch, somebody who I've always really liked, you know, Coffee and Cigarettes, Broken Embraces, Dead Man, a movie, Dead Man. Yeah, a movie yep. that um, – I've gifted you, Max. Jim Jarmusch loves to shoot in black and white. The photography in this movie is incredible. So if you're a fan of just cinema and the craft, I think you'll appreciate that. Tom Waits does the music himself. So the jazz awesome. and everything else in it really goes well with what you're seeing on screen. Uh, yeah, this film's in the Criterion Collection, and I've already put like three bids out there on eBay to try to pick up a used copy because I cannot wait for the next Flash sale. I, I want to own this movie now. So highly, highly recommend Down by Law. Would be my number one, but I just, yeah, I've only seen it once. So, How many times has he used Tom Waits? Because I know he's in The Dead Don't Die. He's in this, and then I feel I, like he's in a few more. Cause... Yeah, and he has, I think he has a scene in Coffee and Cigarettes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, somebody who, you know, we keep bringing up Licorice Pizza, somebody who's kind of been hot recently. Licorice Pizza, Ballad of uh, Buster, Buster Scruggs. Scruggs. Somebody who I feel like is really fun to go back and see just how much of an on screen presence they have because you think of him as such a musician. Mystery Men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has uh, a couple of scenes in this film where he's wearing a hairnet. It's when they're in prison and he's got the jumper on iconic chances are if you're on film twitter if you're on uh film instagram you've seen a still of tom waits's character in this movie and you just don't realize that that's what it's from because that's that was my experience i was like oh i've seen this character before um just didn't know what it was about though but yeah there it is down by law love it okay so uh we know that the curious case of benjamin button is your number one drew so that means grant it's time for your number one all right my number one is no surprise of of course i gotta bring up disney in in any conversation in any episode we do and surprisingly like this i i knew this movie was going to be my top five and then in evaluating everything and evaluating everything i was surprised that it climbed the ranks to number one but this film is Pretty spectacular when you really look at it. And I'm talking about 2009's The Princess and the Frog. This is coming from Ron Clements and John Musker. Disney royalty. When you talk about what they've directed. Little Mermaid. Aladdin. Treasure Planet. Hercules. Moana. And The Princess and the Frog. Introducing the first straight african-american disney princess retelling of the prince and the princess and the frog story of you know true love will turn the you know frog prince into an actual prince and this is some new orleans voodoo magic to where when you do you know a right thing for the wrong reasons it's not the right thing and so she gets turned into a frog and then they have to go on their adventure to figure out how to reverse the whole thing but this movie like any anything that we talked about tonight about what captivates of a New Orleans a Louisiana movie is in this film the jazz the the colorfulness the happiness the sadness the scariness the the voodoo the like the the gators the animals the beignets the beignets the food you know like it is you know a waitress is you know like you know trying to open her own place and 
the the working person atmosphere and everyone is an equal kind of feel of what Mardi Gras and Bourbon Street and downtown New Orleans feels. It's like we're all here together, that that community feel. This film 100% capsulates, and the cast is fantastic. I, I mentioned Baron Samity on Live and Let Die. Dr. Facilier. Keith David. My man. I mean, Keith David is one of those guys where you hear his voice, you recognize it, whether you know his face or not. The guy is everywhere. I love anything this guy does. Randy Newman does the music for this. So, like, okay, like, you got Disney royalty times two. Great. Awesome. And this is also in the height of when Disney Animation Studios is not trying to compete, but they're trying to keep up with Pixar. It's at one point they were all one and then they split, but they were all owned by Disney and Disney Animation Studio was like, okay, we're the musical. We got to have the songs and stuff. So, but people love Pixar the way it looks. So we got to start doing computer animation and this and blah, 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 frozen and yada, 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 and all these other things. And then this was kind of like a, a reversion back to the classic Disney trope of just animation, colorful songs, the good people, the bad people, this, that, and the other, making the princess the main character and not the damsel in distress, and making the prince maybe not the greatest person on the planet, but over the course of the time becomes a better person through it. Like the whole movie itself is just, it, it's great. I ironically, I feel like it got un, like underlooked. I'm glad that it's getting representation now. If you don't know at Disney, they're getting rid of Splash Mountain. They're they're redoing it. They're getting rid of the Song of the South, which is inherently racist. Well, they're keeping Splash Mountain. They're keeping Splash Mountain, but they're changing it to Princess and the Frog to be you know obviously keeping some themes of like the riverboat and like the music, but changing it to. This, which is going to mean way more representation, especially with the Mark Twain uh, boat there, too. So it's going to be some awesome transition seeing here of uh, not necessarily trying to what I think a lot of people see when big corporations do stuff like this of reluctantly kind of changing things. But like like proudly advancing and changing things and forget forgetting some ignorant past stuff. And this movie I think was just a great time, especially at 2009, I think which is why it kind of got maybe forgotten, but now is still like being realized that it's insanely relevant. And in the grand scope of things of what we're talking here, like it cap, it captures new Orleans so well in a, uh, positive, positive view. Because it's Disney and it's colorful and you've got gators playing trumpets and, you know, you got fireflies dancing around that are all got Cajun accents and stuff. And it's the Jiminy Cricket. John Goodman, too. And John Goodman. Exactly. Exactly. The cast, the cast is, if you go look at it, the cast is, is phenomenal. Um, Anika Nori Rose is, is Tiana. And so, like, having that, like, like I said, representation is, is phenomenal. It was, it was a great film. It's fantastic. It's a great Disney animation. I feel like we both just pushed the microphone away at the same time, Max. We're like living in the Matrix. I was just about to say we stand Princess Tiana. And I yeah. listen, I'll be honest. I, I, I ripped this film up uh, uh, on Disney Plus uh, yesterday. 
Uh, during the day, Alex had to come by and pick up some equipment, and uh, That's didn't, what you were didn't let him into the apartment because I was like, I don't want him to know I'm watching The Princess <laughs> and the Frog. But it's 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 a fun movie. It's a fun Disney movie. Meanwhile, you guys come over, and I'm like bumping Hercules in a line. I'm like, yeah, come on in, guys. <laughs> so I'm just going to take a little tangent right here. So you're living in the Matrix, not in you know equilibrium. Just I would never live there. in equilibrium. I would never choose that. Yeah, we're we're so close to the matrix. end. Do not derail us now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Max, your number one. My number one. Back Do I smell and a to conspiracy? The left. Back and to the left. I smell a conspiracy. <laughs> Listen, this movie I, I this movie is weird, right? Because it's not it's not very good. But it, it, but it is depends on who you ask. It is amazing to watch. Like it is such a fun watch. Uh, it did have political ramifications, though. Absolutely, yeah. It changed. It changed things when it came out. Uh, and I'm talking about uh, Oliver Stone's uh, JFK, 1991. Kevin Costner and 20 of like the most like biggest movie stars at the fucking time, including Walter Matthew, Jack Lemon, fucking John Candy, Kevin Bacon, uh, Joe Pesci. Uh, 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 wow. Oh my god, I, I know who you're thinking of too, and I can't think what's his <laughs> name. Uh, that one guy, that one guy, no, Laurie Metcalf. Um, uh, the one guy who's in like all the Disney Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Oldman. There. Yes, Gary Oldman is in there. I mean, this movie. And it's it's about Jim Garrison, who is a district attorney in New Orleans, uh, decides to dive deeper into the JFK assassination. A lot of things are made up throughout this movie. A lot of things are fictionalized. Uh, Donald Sutherland is also in this movie as Mr. X. That character is totally made up. Uh, the Kevin Bacon character is totally made up. I think Kevin Bacon is my favorite part of this movie. <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> the death of Joe Pesci's uh, character is, is completely fabricated. So Oliver Stone takes a lot of liberties throughout this movie. But it's how it's, rare of him. Yeah, right. Crazy, but right? <laughs> it's it's a Hollywood movie. fabricating. <laughs> it's a movie that captured the country in '91. Uh, as as Drew alluded to, it it, it brought up uh, and changed it like introduced the As- Assassination Act or something like that in 19, 1992. After being shown this film by Oliver Stone, um, uh, and and a lot of it takes place in New Orleans. Uh, Jim Garrison. You know, lives in New Orleans. Uh, Sissy Spacek is is his wife, um, and uh, uh, there's s- just some great scenes in New Orleans. Like when they hear that JFK has been shot, they go to like a New Orleans bar. It's very very uh, Bourbon Street. Then also there's a a point where they're uh, standing in the I believe the French Quarter, and they're just like, "There's the FBI, there's the CIA, there's the NSA." What you know, and uh, again, just Really, uh, just a fascinating movie to to rewatch and continue to rewatch it. If you have a day and a half to spare, yeah, it's like, it, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's like three ish, th- three hours and eight minutes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know what? It's 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 just fascinating. Everyone everyone in this movie is is taking such a like a different choice or a di- or a chance on their acting performances. Tommy Lee Jones was nominated for an Academy Award for his performance as as a as a gay man, uh, Clay Shaw, who like wearing a terrible white wig, like and like there are some scenes that are just like Whoa. Clay Shaw as Clay Bennett yeah. did this. <laughs> and, 
Kevin Costner is doing the worst uh, Louisiana accent known, I think, in film, but he continues to try. Um, Donald Sutherland comes in for two minutes and just gives one of the one of the best like speeches ever on screen. Just sitting on a bench in Washington D.C. Give Donald yeah. Sutherland a Southern accent and put him in a, like a, a courtroom. Sold. Yeah, this movie is just uh, just crazy entertaining. Um, and again, I have mixed feelings about it because a lot of it's fabricated and whatnot. But but at the same time, it's it's just a really really fun rewatch. Uh, and it's fast, and the editing is great, and it, it like mixes in all this documentary stuff. Gary Oldman as Lee, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Oswald. Thank you, Lee Harvey Oswald. A uh, young Gary Oldman uh, does a, does an excellent job. As he said, Kevin Bacon. You know, even though his character is not real, but like comes in again for two scenes and like lights the place on fire. Um, yeah, just a just a crazy crazy film. Uh, and a lot of it in New Orleans. Well, it's like that. Uh, so in Parks and Rec, when they're doing the Bobby Newport ad, it, it felt like a lot of that where it's like it was kind of just like up and to the left. Yeah. Up and to the left. Well, and then like at the time, like Seinfeld, like like parodies it. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, with the, the spitting episode or whatever. <laughs> Back and to the left. Yeah, It's just I don't know. This movie is is has its problems and it's of a time but yeah but it's important well it's an important movie i wrote a paper on this film yeah for not a film class actually it was just for something rant i can't remember what class it was for um math (laughs) algebra my 30 page math paper what's the answer to this so jfk by oliver stone it was it was that thing where it's like you watch it and you're like yeah this is all this this is we should know more about the JFK assassination. We should know. And then. Well, that's what the assassination act was, right? Like it was, it was kind of releasing documents. It's then yeah. saying like, Hey, all of the, all of the information just needs to be in one place mm-hmm. and available. Mm-hmm. Okay. And was open to the public at this point. Yeah. And so, I mean, it did, I mean, it kind of opened up some stuff politically, but at the same time, like you said, a lot of fabrication in this movie, but it was the first time I watched it and I was like, what? Because yeah. I didn't know too much. It was pretty much go home, watch this movie, and write a paper. And I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Why don't we know more about this?" This is like this film started my conspiracy career. Same. That's, I mean, <laughs> that's, now that's, I, th- that's right I like where to think is. I'm a recovering conspiracy theorist now. But uh, when I saw it, you know, at like thirteen, fourteen, or whatever, like I was like, "Yes, yes." I saw, I saw it even younger. I saw it at like ten years old because we had the double VHS of it. And I remember watching this with my dad and just thinking like the world is a scary, scary place. (laughs) Everything is a lie. Yeah. All right. Uh, my number one, it is cat people. Cat people is directed by Paul Schrader, the man. Uh, this is a remake of a 1942 film that takes what that movie did and just turns the, turns the gumbo up to high heat and <laughs> and wow is this movie spectacular uh it's an erotic horror i would say uh deals with shapeshifters and yeah some voodoo magic magic from from the old country uh really wild stuff stars john hurd who most people know is the dad from home alone um and some other things there in the 90s but in the 80s there he was really like 
making a push to be kind of a scream king. He's in this and he's in Chud, uh, just a wild movie. Um, and, and, and it works. It surprisingly works really well. Him as a leading man. Malcolm McDowell is kind of the second lead of this film. And then, of course, Natasha Kins, uh, Kinski is kind of our title character. She's the shape-shifting cat. And just just a wild movie. Um, all of it really set on location in Louisiana, though. Appreciate that a ton. Really, what makes this movie great though aside from the deviation from a lot of schrader's career you know normally paul schrader directs movies about men troubled men with problems you think about his latest film the card counter you think about first reformed you think about the script for taxi driver this goes this was a, such a deviation um from from his normal stuff uh so no whiskey neat diary writing no at night? no not really um wow the John Hurd character a little bit gets into <laughs> gets into some of that stuff, but no. What what this movie is probably most famous for, and and I'm going to make sure that people know this right now because Quentin Tarantino has totally hijacked this song. But it's David Bowie's Cat People putting out the fire with gasoline. That was the theme song for this movie. Everyone knows it for Inglorious Bastards now, but that movie or or this movie Cat People introduces us to this song. Maybe David Bowie's greatest song. And it's the theme song. So it starts at the beginning and it fucking goes so hard. It, it, I love it. I was listening to this song all day today. Um, but no, this is just a really fun, fun film. I've been to New Orleans myself. And so to, to pick out a lot of the locations, we're at, we're at the zoo for, for a lot of this movie. That's where the Malcolm McDowell and uh, John Hurd character are hanging out for most of the time. Uh, just, just really fun to be able to pick out different locations that I've been to myself. Yeah, this movie, uh, you know, I, I think we touched on it a little bit in our 80s Horror Hall of Fame. I gave it like an honorable mention because I watched it for the first time then. Really enjoyed going back and revisiting it for this episode after thinking of Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Then this was the one that I was like, no, it needs to leapfrog that and be my number one because Schrader's just somebody who I think is fascinating. This subgenre of horror, anytime you're starting to deal. This is almost like a Species X-esque story where um you know I, just sex is a very prevalent part of the theme and what has to happen um so yeah i'll, I'll leave it at that it's it's a wild movie kind of hard to track down nowadays um but i do believe that there's like a cool scream factory or shout factory blu-ray release of it so so track that down if you want i don't believe that this lives on any streamer right now though but highly highly recommend cat people uh and i've actually never seen the original so i probably should go back and watch that one from 1942 but yeah, yeah. all right so let's get some honorable mentions out uh drew do you have any off the top of your head that you feel like we haven't mentioned just real quickly going back to cat people oh okay i have not seen this but however mm -hmm. i like how paul schrader's films mm -hmm. all of his titles you know what the movie's about yeah. Every single time yeah. you want to know what he, what the film's about for that he makes, boom! Title: Cat People, Card Counter, Taxi Driver, Dark. Yeah, it's boom, done. And then also, if you want a good double feature with this movie, Scooby Doo on Zombie Island. <laughs> yeah, right. People turn into cats. People turn it into cats. There it wow. is. There you go. Wow. Full circle. Full circle. From five to one. Um, I think all of my honorable mentions got said that's great around the table except for if we're going just louisiana we got to bring water boy yes yeah. yeah 
Yep. I think that's probably one. And, and we are. We're doing the whole state. So, yeah, Absolutely. I'm sure a lot of people have probably been waiting for somebody to bring that up. So Remember when Bobby Boucher showed up at the at halftime to win the bourbon bowl? <laughs> I, I totally butchered that quote just now, so I apologize. But East Kyoto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got it. <laughs> um, uh, Project Power on Netflix. Uh, I'm a big Joseph Gordon-Levitt guy. Mm, and, and, Jamie Foxx, too. Yeah, Jamie Foxx. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Is it just called Power? Broseph Gordon Levitt. Is it called Project? Is that joke Project from the Project Power? Project Power. I maybe. Anyways, what? Sidebar. Sidebar yeah. for later. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> is this yeah. a film or a series? It's a it's a movie. Okay. Yeah. It's all about like um it's a Netflix original. Yeah. It's like one can of those never things. Never be too sure with that service. It's a it's a, a movie where like you can consume something that gives you powers for a certain t- amount of time. It's oh, like a I drug. think I've okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's just all about that, which is it's entertaining. It, it's one of those like it's, it takes place in New Orleans. There's nothing New Orleans about it, but it just takes place there. Popped up on the list. Um, I think most, of, I think all of mine, like honestly, got mentioned. Like I said, like I'm surprised I didn't. We didn't have more crossover because I was like. I thought these were the ones, and I think we got the wide net. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't think of anything else. You got one more you want to chime in yeah, with before we was, get to Max? Uh, Cincinnati Kid. Mm. It's what nineteen sixty. Oddly, doesn't take place in yeah, Cincinnati. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. Cincinnati's in Ohio, Drew. Yeah, so, uh, but um, you I mean, idiot. he was nicknamed the Kid, and then the Cincinnati Kid while he's in New Orleans ah. as he's playing cards. I Steve McQueen. Know. Steve McQueen. Oh, okay. Well, then Max, I see a list movie. and a half over there in yeah, front of you. I do. Oh, damn. Uh, Angel Heart. Yes, that's a number one on my list. Uh, 12 Years a Slave. That was number two on Rough. my list. Hatchet. Hatchet's fucking crazy. Ha- shout that's out that's to Victor Con- Crowley. Sh- yeah, mm-hmm. shout out to Conrad Michael, new listener, been talking to me about Hatchet for a while. I told him we were doing Louisiana New Orleans, and he goes, if someone doesn't bring up Hatchet, I will stop listening. I'm like, Max has to. I got to ask him. And- what was his name? Conrad? Conrad. Conrad, go listen to Silver Screams. I, we, do all, I, we do a whole episode on Hatchet. Uh, that's, that's what I told him. Uh, Not Gary Paulson Hatchet. <laughs> no. God. <laughs> <laughs> Contraband. Uh, I'm yeah. gonna kill your kids. Yeah, uh, about half of that film. For is, sure. that, is that is that Rubisi? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Killing them hey, softly. Fuck it, I'm watching your sister's kid play soccer. <laughs> Killing them softly is not in Louisiana. Yeah, it is. is oh, it really? well, then put that in my list. Knock Same off, here. Yeah, I'd... knock off Swamp Thing and put in Kill Them Softly. I fucking love too that late. movie. Uh, too late. Uh, yeah, did that's not, all. No, I got. God, I did not. Really. I didn't realize that either. Yeah. Lame. Yeah. But not lame. That was a great Somewhere mention. Somewhere in Louisiana. Great mention. Louisiana. What a cast. Yeah, no, uh, just, just a side tangent. What a cast yeah. of that movie. Oh. Richard Jenkins, Brad Pitt. Ray Liotta. Come on. Ben Mendelsohn. Say more. Scoot McNary is in that. Hello. And then, uh, what's Anything with Scoot, man. Yeah, I'm about Scoot's to mention fantastic. a Scoot film. What's this? James Gandolfini. There, there it is. Go. Um, okay, so there's a Brian De Palma film called Obsession that takes place in Louisiana. Okay going to give that a quick shout out nice another classic doesn't the fury also take place in louisiana mm, no, i no? don't believe so that's okay, world no. war ii um <laughs> it's david ayer <laughs> that's yeah uh another that's classic Suicide squad <laughs> another classic that i think would be a good double feature probably with a streetcar named desire is cat on a hot tin roof yeah I, I oh did, for newman? sure yeah. yeah yeah paul newman yep um max you mentioned angel heart and then I also want to give a shout out to Easy Rider. I feel like that probably could have been on one of our lists, but since I just brought it up on the Stoner Hall of Fame mm. and the fact that that I feel like that is 
so many other things before it's a Louisiana movie. It's a road trip it's a road movie. Trip, yeah. um, it, it is a, a kind of a stoner film, a druggy film. But their whole goal is to get to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. And then, of course, you have the kind of infamous cemetery scene. And I feel like that's another big calling card for a lot of these New Orleans movies is the mausoleums. You know, you have to bury your dead above ground in New Orleans and in Louisiana because the rising waters, when levee break, when levees break and things like that, you know, you don't want, you don't want places like that to go underwater. So obviously there's that. Another film that I'm really surprised that nobody brought up is beast of the Southern wild. I watched this movie last night for the first time, uh, for the first time ever. And Wow. I just, I, I had too many first timers on my list with um, Southern Comfort and Down by Law to where I was just like, my list can't all be first timers, but I'm so mad that I've let 10 years of my life go by without seeing this movie. It's number one on my watch list. I'm so bummed I didn't get to it, but it's on that, Amazon Prime right when now. When that movie came out, it swept the nation. It swept it was everything. A, it was a phenomenon for it sure. Was, it, absolutely. I have one more I just realized. Mm-hmm. I thought of real quick, it's going to be real short. Hard Target. Jean-Claude Van Damme with a bow and arrow. That's it. Watch the movie. Okay. Um, <laughs> two, <laughs> two more now that I, it, these are like dishonorable mentions, but I have to get them in there just because I think that this was such a funny time in Hollywood to where, and this is definitely post-Katrina, the reaping and the skeleton key. Oh, two, I, yeah. Two Did you mention Geostorm before? I haven't mentioned Geostorm. I would throw that no. in the <laughs> Geostorm. Um, dishonorable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the weird thing about the reaping and the skeleton key, though, is that these are like, these are non franchise horror films made in the mid 2000s for a pretty reasonable budget of like $40 million that made money back at the theaters. And that just like nobody talks about. Just died. the reaping just is the died. Hillary Swank. The reaping the is the plague, Hillary Swank the and plague. plagues. Yeah. yeah. And then Skeleton Key is Kate the Hudson. Kate Hudson one. Yeah. That's right. And and these movies, I mean, like I I went back and I watched all of the reaping. So of course I had to do a letterbox thing of it. Three hundred fifteen reviews of of this film. Are you on kidding? Letterboxd. On Letterbox? Yes. What like, the hell? This movie this is, is major, dead. This is a major <laughs> motion picture. Hillary Swank, Idris Elba, like stars in this movie and like i'm saying for a <laughs> legit budget like this was a studio production and it's these movies just don't exist anymore i so i was just like this is so funny this is so bizarre to me see when i went, it would never happen oh, anymore i heard skeleton key and went oh i have i have no idea what we're talking about with the reaping okay well I another have, movie that's hard to track down uh, yeah. i don't think it has a blu-ray release but but yeah i mean these movies and the fact that they made money the fact that the northman can't make its money back at the theater right now but the reaping Made like sixty four mil. <laughs> it's just insane. It's uh, North, the Northman's going to VOD this Friday. Wow, really? Yeah. Um, I know. I know the. I know the poster. Okay, there yeah. It is. Um, and We're, then the last one I got to shout out is Come On, Come On, uh, a movie mm. that you know only like the last twenty five minutes of it takes place in New Orleans. So I felt kind of bad trying to finagle its way into my top five, but at the same time. Those 25 minutes that we do spend in New Orleans, I think, do a great job representing the area. We do – we're at a street parade, which I'll, I can tell you this. Those do just kind of pop up um, in different areas. They're at Abu Dhan Zoo, which is really a park, um, another place that I've been. And so, I mean, listeners of this podcast know that Come On, Come On was like one of my favorite films of last year. Thanks in large part to – 
that final 25 minutes because I was able to identify some areas that I've actually been. And that's always just really fun in film. Uh, so yeah, I had, had to get that one in there. A heavy, heavy theme of black and white. Um, I think when, when we're looking at different movies here that have been set in new Orleans, which I found kind of interesting, but yeah, man, I, Max, you and I were talking about this before we started recording fantastic films in new Orleans and for their, you know, Grant surprisingly deep. Very surprisingly deep and grant to like what you were saying, kind of what we all agreed upon was without there really being like a consensus one, two, or even three, just very solid movies across the I board. Think, yeah, absolutely. I think like looking back at Texas and looking forward, I don't think it's going to be like this again. I think this is a very unique setting. Oh, you already know Florida's about to get real weird. Florida's <laughs> about to get strange. <laughs> all right. But so that does it for a stop in Louisiana. We had so much fun with Drew on this episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining Get us. Get out of the car, dude. <laughs> yeah, we've arrived at Bourbon Street. Um, <laughs> Leave me here till Mardi Gras. As we say goodbye to the boot state, though, and look ahead to Florida in our next stop, we are ready for it to get weird. We're ready for it to get wacky, and we've got the perfect guest host to help us cipher through the madness. Our Chatter Network brethren and Florida resident, Lyndon Savantu, will be joining us next week. If you want to get a sense of Lyndon of Lyndon and his style, his podcast is the Always Moving Podcast, which you can find on the chatternetwork.com. Then come back next week to hear his top five films along with the three of ours. Drew, you got any good uh, Florida recommendations for us to watch this week? Anything that comes to mind off the top of your head? Um, A24 lives in Florida. I was about to say Florida Project. Yeah. There's one. Uh, the Punisher takes place in Tampa. Um, the Thomas, the, the Thomas Jane, Thomas, Thomas Jane, Jane. Do, Tom, John, yeah. John Travolta. We're gonna talk yeah. about that one. Oh, oh that movie's actually pretty badass. That's good. That's really good. But that's uh, all. I, yeah, that's honestly, it's like hey, Florida. That's, solid. that's all I got. Yeah, that's solid. All right. Well, if you are headed out to the theaters or the Gig Harbor Beer Festival this weekend, remember to please travel safe. And until next time, we will see you at the movies. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. As always, and maybe just right now, but grab a bowl of gumbo, grab a beignet, drink some movies, and watch some beer. Uh, yeah. I'm here, too.